All right, and hack everybody. It is 9.30 Eastern Standard Time, 6.30 my time. I am Tay, uh, co-host by day and Sith Lord by night. I'm Jen, one of the USDN founders. I am Jeffy Jeff, also one of the USDN founders. And Eric will be joining us here shortly. So welcome to the United States Department of Nerds, where we are for the people, by the people, and of the people. So just remember, huh? <laughs> <laughs> so just remember here at USDN, we strive to bring you the best content that we can find and where you know it comes with the USDN seal of approval. Um, we, we always strive to give you factual data, and if it's a rumor, we'll always say it's a rumor alert just before giving you the freshest info, just to kind of keep you uh, ahead of the game there. Um, however, once these rumors are proven true, you can bet your money here at USDN that we will give it our stamp of approval, all right? So on today's episode, uh, we will be continuing the journey through the universe and timeline orders, starting with the Predator, and then we're gonna be going to the Alien versus Predator Requiem. Ready? Let's do this. Let's do this. Let's do it. I'm ready. Great info. Love it, intro. Love it. All right. So uh, today I will be doing a shot of water. Um, I had a little bit too much to drink yesterday, so <laughs> I will be drinking water for this episode. Um, Jen, are you taking a shot? I am doing some uh, American whiskey with honey. Ooh. What's yeah. our shot glass today? Oh, it's my usual. Drink up, bitches. Jeff, what you drinking? Coffee, as always. I love it, and I love this uh, silver silver cup. So uh, <laughs> it's the only way to kill a werewolf. <laughs> to growth and continuing uh, this awesome journey. Cheers, everybody! Salud. 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 So All right. Well, you picked that one, so that one's on you. <laughs> All right, everybody. We're going to present y'all a lot of information today. And what we're going to be presenting just merely scraps the surface of what we're going to be covering uh, to prevent going down a whole lot of rabbit holes and going into a three-hour-long podcast. We're going to highlight things that we like and we think that are important to know. And if you would like some more references, you can refer to the Dark Horse comic books 
the Marvel comic books and also the book books because they have those. Granted, oh, none of what we're going to present books. to you is covered by any of those things. <laughs> the book books. Welcome, EJ. How are hey, you? Hey, how's it going? Hey, how do I turn on the brightness? EJ, I'm like, I'm like blinded over here. <laughs> Would you say you're blinded by the I light? Like Buddha. Buddha. There's a song about that. Oh, bless you. Welcome, Edie. Is that an inside Asian that? joke that we white folks don't get? Yeah, well, you guys get it. Look at my eyes. <laughs> it's giving me rice patty right eyes. I'm going to like, hell, man. I got the rice patty eyes going like, oh. I am so <laughs> going to hell because that was it's funny. So God damn it, it's EJ. So you just keep pushing me further up that line, I swear. EJ, I know that you uh, missed the shot just now. Um did. What you drinking? But I do have a shot, so I'll play catch up. I have my shot. Uh, Maker's Cheers. Mark. Ooh, oh, Maker's Mark. Some and, uh, special right there. Some and some rum. Okay. God damn, two fisting in it, EJ. I like it. Yeah, I have three boys. It's just, you know, that's all the explanation I need. That's why I have so many drinks. Right. I got, I got one teenage girl. And let me tell oh, you. That, that right there trumps the three boys. It's a teenage girl. Oof. All right, EJ. Uh, so, do you want to take us into the Predator? Don't don't. Yes, absolutely. And like I said, sorry for my late arrival. There it was technical difficulties on my part, but um, children, just say your children. Of the uh, first entry uh, entry into our series or for this series tonight is the Predator, the 2018 movie. Uh, it's supposed to take place between uh, 19. Or in in the future, 1997, which is it's just the way that it, it lands is weird. Yeah, but, um, it, it really is, and it was made in 2018, but it, it takes place in 97. And then the, yeah, so it it kind of jumps around. Um, it's directed by Shane Black, who actually took part in the original Predators, uh, um, yep. development and release. Um, so that was kind of neat to have him back. Um. He's also known for Iron Man 3, uh, The Nice Guys, Lethal Weapon really? series. He has a lot of experience in um, writing um, multifaceted character interaction. So seeing that the Predator had a large cast, he was a good call on that. Um, it was released in 2018. The runtime was an hour and 47 minutes. Um, it had an extensive cast of characters. So, um, we're going to touch on some of them here, but... Um, not all because I mean it's 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 a long list. Um, primarily, we went with all the all the main characters that have an influence on the overall story. So, um, firstly, we have the main uh, protagonist, which his name is Quinn McKenna. Is uh, played by Boyd Holbrook. You might have seen him in some other movies. He's not been uh, um, on, on anything uh, too major, but as far as what might be related to something USDN eyes, he was in uh, Logan. Uh, he played one of the uh, um, antagonists for uh, Wolverine's character in that movie. Um, he plays, uh, he does a good job playing Quinn McKenna, which is our uh, pretty standard front-running hero. Uh, he's a captain in the Army Rangers. Uh, he's a sniper. Um, he seems like a very uh, analytical kind of guy. Um, as you watch, as they bring him into the scene and stuff in the beginning, he seems very... Um, um observant uh, situational awareness is high like he he likes to look look at things um 
and understand what's going on, delve a little deeper. So that kind of plays into him as the rest of the movie goes. Is like he wants answers more so than just a straight up uh, solution. So um, he he is driven in that manner as a, a thinker. Um, I would say that he's kind of like a neutral good as he breaks the rules immediately as you meet him in the story. Um, he's on a mission. He's in uh, Mexico. Um, it's a hostage mission that, uh, related to drug interdiction. And him and his uh, two teammates in the sniper team is sitting out waiting for cartel members to show up with a hostage they're trying to rescue. But during this situation, uh, McKenna notices something in the sky that catches his eye while He's uh, watching his targets and ends up being a UFO, unidentified object. But we already know from the very beginning and intro of the movie that it's uh, one of the vessels, uh, a damaged, or I believe it's the escape pod of the damaged vessel. It's kind of hard to tell as it's coming down which part he sees first. But one of the Predator ships is damaged and there's a Predator that uses an escape pod to get out of there. He actually witnesses this in the sky above him, and it comes down pretty close to right on top of his position. So immediately he's thrust into being part of this story, you know, uh, unintentionally. It's not like you'd looked for the situation or was sent to it or was assigned to it, which is is a break from a lot of the other Predator movies we've seen where the individuals were either on a mission and then directly confronted with it, investigating it like in Predator 2. But in this, it's like it's thrust upon him. It's just dropped in his lap. So... The situation intensifies from there. Um, he loses his teammates to the Predator. Um, so he's, like I said, it's a it's an intense nonstop for him from that moment on, trying to get home, trying to figure out what's going on with himself, trying to protect his family. Um, let's see. Next, we have uh, Rory McKenna, as far as the cast goes. He's played by Jacob Tremblay, who is the, the young boy, and he's playing ba- uh, an autistic uh, child. He is the son of our main character, uh, Quinn McKenna. Um, he does a good job playing the role, I feel. Um, he's definitely the uh, uh, focal point to a lot of scenes. Um, he adds a, a, a level of detail when it comes to things going on with the Predators, as far as, especially when it comes to tech. As far as tech's involved, when uh, Rory ends up getting a package mailed by his father from that incident, basically a way to... Um, Captain McKenna got got rid of the equipment that he was carrying. He mailed it back home, unbeknown to the rest of the military. So his son gets the package first and inquisitively opens it up and starts looking at stuff. And immediately it shows that his mind, although uh, he he has autism, just is operating in a different way. So when he sees this equipment and stuff, he starts exploring it, looking for, you know, and he's able to interact in a way that maybe people who don't have that that different insight from the spectrum wouldn't see but so he plays an integral part in that um of course he's an innocent so um throughout the movie he's playing a role that's a uh, primarily a um a level of information and also a viewpoint of innocence but he's the focal point for everything that mckinnon is going to do from then on to try to save his son mm-hmm. uh, Emily McKenna, she doesn't play a huge role. Uh, it's played by Yvonne Shrub. Shrub. I know I butchered that. Um, you may good. recognize her from uh, the Dexter series she was on. Um, she's been Dexter. in the uh, Handmaid's Tale as well. Uh, she played mm-hmm. an role there. Her, her acting skills are amazing. Um, she plays very short part in this. She's an estranged wife, uh, mother to Rory. Um, 
she's not in the movie very much. More so, she's there, there to help establish when you're watching the movie, she's establishing the type of character that McKenna is. It later comes into play. And when it's questioned, she's non object, you know, she's being uh, non objective and just being uh, confrontational with him at first. But when she's asked outside, she's very uh, non biased and gives him a direct answer that whether or not she likes the man, he's a good. He's a good soldier and, you know, a good father. So um, it's a character building moment. The Predator was actually played by Brian Prince when you actually do have the Predator in in full form being interactive with the characters. It's played by uh, Brian A. Prince. He's actually done other jobs as far as special effects in the, you know, in the suit or in place as the Predator. Um, I'm sure Jen's going to hit more on that when we get to that section. Um, main characters, though, as we progress on, um, Nebraska, it's kind of a, a call sign or a nickname. It's played by uh, Trevante Rhodes, who I really like. Um, he does Yeah, I like this character a lot. Yeah, his, he's probably one of the more interesting yeah, uh, supporting awesome. characters to yeah. the uh, protagonist. You know, from the moment that you get into it, he's, he's got more of a, a depth that you kind of wish that they'd go more into. I feel mm -hmm. like that, uh, that opportunity is kind of wasted. Um, he's a former Marine. Um, he, he comes across as no nonsense, very neutral about things, but also, uh, um, inquisitive to a way that he wants to, he wants to know about people more so, but it's like, he's, you know, he's figuring, he's figuring Quinn out as when they first meet Captain McKenna mm -hmm. and him kind of start talking on a bus scene where they're being moved by the, the government. And, um, he asked some quick questions, but you know, he's sizing him up more so on a full scale level. So weren't, weren't they moving them to a, um, what was that? They were moving them to a military mental institute. If I remember right. Yes. Yes. He's a former Marine and, uh, he is, uh, spoiler alert. He has suicidal tendencies. So he's part of this group of individuals been getting mental health, uh, treatment and group treatment, group therapies. They're being moved to another location and Quinn ends up getting on there. So as you watch the movie, you see, they push him more towards this direction, not just because of his involvement with the UFO situation, but they're trying to get him out of the picture. Okay. He, basically the government spooks who do know more about what's going on with the predator and so forth and any kind of extraterrestrial action, they don't want someone else in there messing things up. And they know the way that McKenna is. He's not a, uh, he's not going to be easy to, Pull the wool over his eyes. He's already starting to figure things out and put things together. He's not, so they're going to try to bury him in some manner. And that's why they end up sticking him with the, this group of individuals who are in mental health. So Nebraska is one of them. Um, he, he obviously is a, a um, physically, you know, um, impressive dude. When you first meet him, he's a big guy. He's, you know, he, he moves like he can handle himself. Um, a very self-destructive behavior, which is shown throughout the whole thing as a consecutively smoking heavily, um, jumping straight into the fray of situations that are tough. You know, he, he is no um, worry about his self-perseverance there. So um, other individuals in this group of uh, former Marines who are on this uh, mental health group, there's Cole played by Keegan-Michael Key, which anyone who's a fan of Key and Peele has seen him um, do some excellent parts. You know, he, he plays the comic relief and excellently in this movie. Um, he also has an interesting story, uh, PTSD from Fracture Side. Um, he's the jokester of the group. 
he seems to know everybody pretty well. Um, he, he he plays through his jokes, but uh, a lot of it you could tell that, you know, he does play a good part as far as you could see that he struggles at certain points with things that are triggering him. Um, Baxley, who's played by Thomas Jane, um, you may remember him from the Punisher movie. He played the Punisher. Um, Maybe. He's done he's done a lot of uh, sci-fi work since then. One one real notable one is a uh, um a sci-fi series that uh, we watched for a while. Um What was the name of that series, Jen? Anybody <laughs> Thomas Jane? Yeah, he was only on like for the first two seasons. The Expanse. Uh, he plays, a, he plays a, like a detective in space, which I mean, anything J Thomas Jane does is going to be sci-fi. Really yeah. yeah, yeah, and he's he likes sci-fi. He's in the sci-fi. And if you ever get a chance to check out his short film where he like kind of connected to the Punisher, it's fan-made. Really good. Um, he plays Baxley, who's uh, pretty pretty good friends with uh, Cole Keegan Michael Key's character. Um, he has some form of uh, PTSD that manifests itself in Tourette's during the movie. So uh, when you first meet him on the bus, he's spouting fanities, he's saying inappropriate comments, you know, he's, he's uh, unable to control himself with stuff. But um, he's very cynical and he plays the point of someone who kind of has uh, given up on things and kind of just shoots things down. He seems very negative until things start rolling. Once things get rolling and you see he feels like he has a purpose again, it changes. So therefore... You, you kind of see his character go back and, and some of the symptoms and so forth of his Tourette's and PTSD seem to fade when mm -hmm. he's given this goal of, hey, I can help this guy find his son, maybe stop this creature. He starts to become more of probably the man he was before. But uh, so he's interesting. And uh, Nettles uh, is a Marine pilot. He's played by Augusto Aguilera. I don't recognize him for many other roles. He mm -hmm. does good in this part. He's the uh, religious, the religious aspect he throws in. Um, he's constantly quoting end of days stuff from the Bible. He's saying, you know, oh, you know, it's revelations and stuff. So, um, <laughs> you know, he gets thrown for a loop completely when they find out, oh, this is a deal with aliens. So I'm sure someone who's very religious and spiritual, the moment they see, you know, this giant alien running down the street, throwing light, light laser beams and, you know, plasma blasts and stuff, probably, you know, right there, he's got a lot of questions on his mind. Um <laughs> very short i mean they didn't go into nettles very much you get a few moments where you see that he is um he's very good-hearted and kind of uh um comes across as as wanting to he's kind of like a lawful good guy he's wanting to do the right thing all the time you know um he's definitely disturbed you see that but in a way he's he's uh very um affectionate and friendly to individuals so uh that's an important role to play. Lynch, who's played by Alfie Allen, which you might recognize from the Game of Thrones series. He played Theon Greyjoy. Um, really, to be honest, they dropped the ball majorly on this character. I don't even know what the point of Lynch is. I mean, they kind of reference, like, he does magic tricks. That's it. And then he ends up dying. So you're like, wow, thank you for having Lynch in that movie. It was important. Um Casey Brackett, who's played by Olivia Munn, is probably one of the main protagonists and main focal points of the movie, which isn't bad because Olivia Munn does a very good job. I mean, I think that the character's a little bit out there, seeing that, okay, she's a professor of evolutionary biology. Yep. We get introduced to her during a dog walking segment on a campus grounds. Now, that's, that's good and all, 
I think it's great. But as, as it progresses later in the movie, she's chasing down a like six plus foot alien who's been just murdered an entire lab full of people. And she's chasing him down like, I've got to stop it. Like we're talking about, I don't know about you, but all the college professors I ever had, I'd be surprised they chased down a Twinkie. Okay, <laughs> I'm going to chase down a predator. Unless it was free. Yeah, with a dart gun. <laughs> You know, I'm like, Red Bull. and then I mean, later it, it just it escalates from there to where in the end you kind of feel like she's on par with Captain McKenna as far as being a badass. I mean, she straight up jumps on the predator and is stabbing him at one point in the movie. I'm like, I wouldn't do that. I don't know if McKenna would do that. But anyway, moving on, she's she's a very important character to the movie because she explains a lot of the plot as far as why there's multiple predators, why the there's different versions. Like you'll see the main, the main predator in the movie is much bigger, much more powerful, um, seems to have better tech. Her role in the movie is kind of that information and, and, and feeding it to the audience in a way that makes sense that someone would understand and know like, Hey, you wouldn't want to say McKenna's character suddenly understands evolutionary biology and explains it to everyone. So she fits in the movie and it makes sense. Um, Sean Keyes is played by Jake Busey. Um, Another Busey. So it's a throwback and a connection to Predator 2. Um, he is actually playing uh, his father's character's son. So Agent Keyes from Predator 2. Um, he's a scientist, though, and he really doesn't have a whole lot in the movie as far as he kind of brings Casey um, Brackett's character into the fold and kind of gives her the information that the government has on these predator species. And then from there, between him and her, you get the, the whole gist of the science fiction and plot of this movie. Um, but other than that, I mean, he's quick played. He's kind of like Lynch. You're like, oh, maybe there'd be some more information. Nope, there isn't. Wait, and then we go on to Will Traeger, um, played by Sterling K. Brown. Sterling K. Brown's a great actor. Um, I like him in pretty much everything I've ever seen. I feel like he could have done this part um, way more if they had more depth to him. But as far as what you get about William Traeger, he's a government spook, an agent, just like you see in most of the movies. He's kind of shady. You don't hear a lot. He's very goal-oriented. Um, he's the, the director or leader of the, star, the Stargazer Project. And that's basically the whole means behind them ch tracking, logging, recording, and investigating the predator phenomenon since 1986. Okay, so the Stargazer Project has been logging all the information. It, it actually goes and gives you information as far as what they saw from Predator 2. So it links the movies together. And he does a great job playing the cold, self-serving, you know, calculating kind of agent. The way he speaks about even his own staff or anything that's going on, you get the feeling that everything is just an asset. It's an asset. Not a big deal. And he does a good job of it. You see that he, you know, if it's to meet the goal, you know, that decision's easy for him to make. Um, but I wish they could have given him more. Um, I feel like he could have he could have done a lot more with this role, especially if there's more to it. Um, overall, though, those are the primary characters as far as what carries this story and the whole plot forward. There are other characters that pop up here and there and some that may be relative or important as far as names and so forth, attaching it further on as this genre and this franchise goes. But these characters are what you need to know as far as understanding this movie and getting the whole plot going. As far as the movie in itself, its reviews were mixed, um, which is the case a lot of times, I think, in, in sci-fi. Okay, sci-fi, especially sci-fi horror, um, 
you get a lot of mixed reviews. Critics don't give horror or sci-fi a, a huge berth anyway. They usually shut it down early. So um, Rotten Tomatoes, the critic score was uh, 30%. Okay. They were being generous. Yeah. I mean, they are. It's probably one of the weakest movies in the franchise. But fans, especially because of the fact that it links it to other stuff and gives the hope and promise of future endeavors... I think they were a little more liberal. I think it ended up around 50, 56%, depending on which ones you read. You kind of averaged it out. Mm -hmm. um, IMDb fans uh, gave it roughly a 2.5. They murdered it. Okay. And but, is that out of 10? No, I think, uh, yeah, I think so. Out of 10, as far as yeah, IMDb, the critics gave it a 5.3 overall. But the, the fans, I mean, you have a lot of initial reaction on IMDb. So these are the fans initially watched the movie, probably fans of the franchise like we are, and immediately went and were like, saw all the plot holes and, you know, they're the garage, you know, movie director guys who know how to do everything better than whoever made the movie. But anything, you know, they're on there slamming it pretty hard. Um, not that it doesn't deserve some. I mean, it's really largely seen by everyone that is a fan of either Aliens or Predator as one of the weakest, probably the weakest in the franchise. Um, not due to the acting, not due to the special effects, but due to the fact that the movie is very scattered. Um, the plot doesn't stay cohesive during the whole thing. And it feels like they tried to make two different movies because Rory's very interesting. Uh, Quinn McKenna's son, the captain, who his son has autism. And it's very interesting to see that he becomes such a focus for the Predators as far as they're interested in is this child you know what is so important to them what do they see and what do they understand about that autism that we don't but we never get there and then you go back and it's kind of like he wanted to make a squad you know tough guys bonding doing and we don't quite get that either because just as they start to flush out and you're like oh these characters are you know they got something to go on like keegan michael key's character you're like fratricide's got to be one of the hardest things ever to deal with and he's got this opportunity to work as a team to kind of redeem himself, help save his fellow, it falls short. It well, falls I think short that characters that could have really done a great job, or actors who could have made these characters great. So, but Olivia Munn's character actually talked about the reason why she thought the Predator wanted um, Rory was because the autism they felt like was the next step in the evolutionary, evolutionary step yes. as far as yeah, and yes. that's why the Predator kept going after the little boy because he wanted his DNA. Yeah, and it's a it's part of the whole plot as it goes. It's actually kind of like a twist because Captain McKenna believes it's after him because he yeah. thinks it wants me because I'm the most skilled fighter out of everyone, which was the case in the other movies. When the right. predator, the jungle predator, initially goes in its final battle with Dutch, it's really interested in Dutch because he's the one that survived its confrontation at least twice now. So it's like I want you know he is a trophy to have. I want to know you know I want to keep this human. It's it's a prize. Well, that's the kind of way McKenna approaches it. He feels like, you know, this creature wants me. But what it's really after is his son. And it, it makes more sense because Olivia Munn's character explains, hey, these characters are, or these predators are using genetics to evolve themselves. So these great hunters they've been going, or great prey they've been going after this whole time has been used as D DNA samples to kind of, you know, boost up the next generation or next hunters to come along give them the skills or the benefits of these great creatures they fought at all that's all plays in the plot and like i said 
it does touch on some of these things, but what makes this one fall a little short as far as fans of the franchise is the fact you had such a cast, you had so much money to make, I mean, great special effects, great visuals, but the story just, it scattershots and doesn't really connect. So you kind of feel a loss when they've had so much information to go on, be it comics like uh, Jeff's mentioned, you've got tons of comic data to go back to. And these actors are, are proof that they could pull off. I mean, pretty much if you threw a script at them, you know, they could pull it off. You had the the, the firepower to make this yeah. movie work. And they just kind of cut corners and turned it out because they knew fans would come and spend money just for the name. So Well, they never actually went back and said what was on the ship. And if you look back at the movie and you see that pod in there, that you couldn't really see into. Yeah, I read somewhere that in that pod was supposed to be Ripley. Hmm. That would have been that would be really gr- great to see. But is it <clears throat> just Ripley? No, it was Ripley and Newt. Yeah, and Newt. Yeah, I'm like I want to say Newt was in there too. So yep. it was supposed yeah. to have Ripley and Newt in that pod, but they couldn't get the permission, right. yeah, or whatever, yeah, to use it. So. That was a huge plot hole, I think, that probably would have helped kind of bring the movie together a little bit more, yeah. knowing that they were on the... Yeah, Absolutely. I agree, AD. That they would take have been time, and they too. focus on the on the pod multiple times when you see the ship. But they you know, Even in one of the confrontations yeah. in the ship, you see the pod, and you're like, what's so important? At first, yeah. I thought Rory might have hidden in the pod, you know, during the confrontation, and maybe he's mm-hmm. locked in there, but... They ne- he wasn't so you, you know you got you're left with all these openings and stuff and I mean like we've said before a lot of times if the studios don't have all their ducks in a row as far as getting the rights to something and making sure that they can produce what the story needs we end up with a lost opportunity I mean we really did and that I think this is one time. of the like most poorly edited movies out of the franchise and i think there's probably a lot of lost or archived footage out there that could probably fill in the tie it all together and fill in those gaps that we were given so as for the location of this film it was in vancouver canada so other media um that was taped in this same location you have supernatural x files uh criminal minds deadpool 2 and supposedly uh, Deadpool 3 is also supposed to be there, and the never-ending story. Um, the overall budget for this movie was $88 million. Um, for the opening weekend, when it came out in theaters, it only got $24.6 million. Um, so clearly didn't reach the audiences that they wanted it to reach, even though they had that uh, name on it. Um, it didn't reach what they wanted it to. Oh, However, grossing... Uh, worldwide, it has reached 160 million. So they, I guess, made profit on it eventually. Um, as for music, uh, the um, people that made the music, uh, you have Henry uh, Jackman, and he is known for um, the X Men First Class um, soundtrack, as well as Ralph Breaks the Internet. And then you also have um, Alan uh, Silver, uh, 
Silver City, so Silver Street, sure. Yep, that's the thing. Silvestri, yeah, Silvestri. Thank you. Yep. Um, and he did uh, Avengers Endgame and as well as Forrest Gump. So great, obviously, movies. Um, soundtracks are also there. Um, so uh, in the opening scenes, you have the theme from the original Predator movie that was in 1989. They reused that. Um, very suspenseful, great. Uh, piece of work, great use of timpani drums. Um, then you go into uh, the next song that they have is called um, El Ru uh, Renumbro. Rumbero. Rumbero. Okay. <laughs> um, and it was kind of super confusing just to listen directly after the theme song. Um, but I felt like this should be in a scene that was like in South Beach in Miami, and that's kind of not where it was. It was in Canada, so it was kind of just like really weird. Um, and then the another song that was in it was the Midnight Train to Memphis. It's not as epic, um, but it's still kind of badass. Uh, it sounds like people are like walking in slow mo, getting like their gear ready. Um, kind of has like a country vibe to it. And then uh, the last song um, that I could find for the soundtrack was called Fuck Everything. And it's metal. It is like heavy metal. So like everything that they had for the soundtrack, what? <laughs> yeah. it was it was different. <laughs> so they've got no corners there. They're just showing you what they're telling you right up front. Yeah, yeah. Just straight up, fuck everything. Um, so it... It was kind of just like a super confusing um, soundtrack overall. Um, but the scene where um, the scene from where the predator wakes up and starts killing people in the lab was like straight up suspenseful. And you have that like suspenseful music that goes with it. Um, and I played clarinet um, for like eight years of my life. So like I love woodwind runs um, and this has like, a lot of uh, woodwind runs kind of like to build that suspense, but also that classic blare of the brass of trumpets. Um, and then when the predator is seen in this scene, um, it has like, they always have this like suspenseful eerie uh, type music. Um, it's kind of like makes you get on the edge of your seat. Like what's going to happen next. So with all that, what is this movie about? And what kind of predators did we get? Well, I'll tell you. So it started out the first big predator. Actually, let's go back because originally it was the fugitive predator who was trying to get this tech to the scientists we see in the lab to try to help save humanity and fight the predators. And, it, and um, it was basically the little kit that the kid found. And was sent to the kid. That was the predator from the beginning of the movie. And then we get the ultimate predator. This big boy, also known as the hybrid predator, is a genetically modified alien species who has spliced his DNA and is currently 11 feet tall. He can manipulate his body to form armor. And that's why he looks the way he does in the movie and why he's such a freaking badass. So, but what's the movie about, though? Well, from the outer reaches of space to the small town streets of suburbia, the hunt comes home. 
Now the universe's most lethal hunters are stronger, smarter, and deadlier than ever. Having genetically upgraded themselves with DNA from other species, when a young boy accidentally triggers the return to Earth, only a ragtag crew of ex-soldiers and a disgruntled science teacher can prevent the end of the human race. Take it straight off of IMDb because I love... Because they let anybody write this shit. <laughs> and that was the funniest one. She's a so I picked that one. Science teacher. Yeah. I'm like, how is she? She's like a fucking college professor. Yeah. I know. I'm like, the world. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, I thought that was the funniest one. That's why I rolled with it. So the plot in this is very similar to the 1993 comic book series called Predator Bad Blood. It's a short story prequel which revolves around the Enforcer Predator chasing after the Fugitive Predator. The Enforcer Predator are referred to as the Ultimate Predator or the Hybrid Predator that has sliced its DNA and become this big, huge monster of a Predator. Which, can I note that when Rory has the helmet on and he can see this happening, that looks like it freaking hurts. When it they're did. upgrading him. Like yes. I went back and watched it, and I was like, I don't remember that part. And I was like, Oh man! Yeah, dude, because they're doing it. They're doing it all this. Like it hurts. As you know, in current form, so it's not like they're yeah. growing them from the base. You no, know, like they're they're changing the their table. Gen, yeah, yeah, genetic structure now. So yeah. it, it's. It, I mean, that couldn't be a very comfortable process. At no, point. not at all. Not well, at all. Me down. But. So the Enforcer Predator is chasing the fugitive, and he's also known as a Bad Blood Predator, whose damaged ship winds up on Earth, and in an effort to evade detection, the fugitive ascends on foot, killing a number of humans in its path. So the movie plot itself kind of follows this comic book. However, the original script for this movie was this comic book, and it was cut. Like They were like, no, we don't want that shit. So they got a version of the book, comic book that was very similar, only, yeah. If you, My biggest complaint will always be, if there's source material, use it. writers, directors, producers, use your fucking source material. It's out there for you to use for a reason. Yeah. Fill in the gap. I mean, if they don't the... know what to do with a certain scene or a certain so, character, then go At the time, the comic book was still owned by Dark Horse Comics. It hadn't switched to Marvel yet. So I'm pretty sure if they would have been like, hey, Dark Horse, can we take your comic book and turn it into a movie? Mm -hmm. I'm pretty sure Dark Horse would have seen dollar signs and said, absolutely. <laughs> sure. So, I mean, that's on them. That's on the studios for not being willing to work with these smaller comic books companies to get the source material and get the source material correctly yeah, yeah. i agree all right so special effects um gosh so pretty much this whole damn movie is special effects i swear <laughs> i i'm gonna be totally transparent i was a little disappointed because there wasn't i'm a big um person that i like makeup and CG just kind of takes away from things. Just a little uh, personal opinion I'm going to throw out there. I, I share more, the opinion. Yeah. I am more like this. The CGI, I mean, it has its place and everything because there's just some things that you can't achieve without CGI. But they just, anyways, I'll, I'll, I'll get into it. 
So Method Studios, formerly uh, known as Atomic Fiction, um, the Method artists designed, modeled, and animated the movie's two uh, main alien uh, aircraft that we see. Um, the Ark ship cargo vessel that you initially see, and then there's also a, um, a pursuit ship that was made more for like speed and agility. So these artists actually drew their ideas um, from the original Predator movie, but they tried to make it more modern. So, and they used like references like um, military vehicles and like high performance, like sports cars and things of like, like that for reference. Um, <clears throat> and they also um, did the Predator's um, in invisibility in the movie as well. So the one thing I did like that was different from the other Predator movies so if the predator was completely still in this movie, totally invisible. But there's any like movement or any like, especially like with acceleration, <clears throat> you can see the predator, which to me made more sense. Just saying. Um, then you also see in this movie, the predator dogs, which makes sense because he's hunting. You would, you know, any hunter usually has dogs with them. So um, these dogs are actually shot in a blue screen stage and then also on location with people in, in suits, kind of like acting the part. Um, and then they also built this digital environment. It was like a 360 like, degree like baseball field that actually matches the actual scenery of the location shoot. <clears throat> and they reprojected like the textures and everything to kind of help create this realistic environment and put the predator dogs there. Um, then you have the upgraded predator or the hybrid predator, uh, is what we're calling them. And then you also have the, um, the fugitive predator as well. Um, <clears throat> that's kind of like a mixture of like live action and the full like CG. I think pretty much the upgraded predator is like full CG. And then you have the fugitive predator is more a, a person in a suit. Um, so something interesting is that about halfway through production, they got a, another CG company to come on and help. It was Rising Sun Pictures. <clears throat> so they had a very short amount of time. They had about 11 weeks to deliver more than like 100 shots. So I think this, this movie was so CGI heavy, they had to have a whole another company come in and help them. Mm -hmm. Which I was like, seriously? I, yeah, I, I was shaking my head too when I was reading this. I was like, for real? God. So Rising Sun Pictures delivered. So they also they like Vancouver ain't got no trees and forest. <laughs> <laughs> um so they had to do more than a hundred shots, CGI shots in eleven weeks. This included like CGI environments, um, the sets, the predators, um, their cloaking effect, uh, dramatic enhancement. So a lot of the combat scenes that you see with the initial ships in the beginning. Um, and that was the, um, the opening shot. And then the, the biggest reason that I found that they did it again is there's so much CGI going on in the film and actually to stay like on track with their deadline, they had to have another company come on. Um, I don't really have a whole lot for you. Honestly, like the CGI is not really much to talk about. I mean, they had, the only thing I can say that I kind of gave mad props to him is that um, 
well, there's another company. They did, um, they modeled, sculpted, and textured the upgraded predator and the actual predator, and then the um, the predator dogs <clears throat> to such a high degree that the um, director could actually get like really close close ups on them if he wanted to, and they actually like built so it where it had like movement to like different muscle systems. That's one of the system. scenes that I can specifically remember <clears throat> when they're on the baseball field with mm -hmm. the dogs. And they, they had that really close-up shot of the dogs. Mm -hmm. I was like, that's really freaking cool. Yeah. I mean, you could tell it was CGI, but at the same time, I thought that was really cool how close they were able to push in on them and yeah. get the slobber and everything. But they supposedly had, like, something built where they could have done it and not been CGI. Like, that it really kills a lot of movie. Not to shit on this movie if somebody likes it, but, I mean, that honestly will kill a movie for me is if you use too much CGI and you don't yeah, put enough money though. into the effects, you, you'll, you'll kill it every time. People like... Yeah, practical is a lot cheaper than CGI, too. <laughs> it really it is. Makes no I mean, sense, it's got to be smart. It yeah, it makes no sense. because I mean, especially with today, I mean, we could ask yeah. AI to break out a CGI scene. You know, an mm -hmm. AI is pretty... There you go. But I mean, I know it's not to the same quality, but I mean, practical effects take time and actual man hours and a, and you're using actual resources, whereas CGI is just time. It's just mm -hmm. time of someone sitting there working on it. But I mean, when you, I mean, if any, if you've ever watched Face Off, anybody's ever seen Face Off on sci-fi. Dude, that's one of my yeah. favorite freaking movies. Oh, it's amazing. And you're just Isn't like- Isn't it a TV show now? Yeah, they had a show about doing- um, all different special effects, like building, yeah. uh, you know, for different movies or different shows. And the yeah. amount of work that these people put in for one, you know, one production, you're just like, wow, that takes like a week for them to turn out from drawing the item to starting to make it to mold. Might be two or three days, you know, and they're putting all this effort and resources and sculpting clay. And you're like, why does CGI cost so much money? It just, uh, I don't know. It doesn't make sense to me. I mean, it, you're not working with anything real. You know, you're just plotting stuff on a computer code. You know, drawing. Let's get paying coders for the time. Yeah. Wow. And that's the only thing I could think of that where the cost well, comes in. We should all and be the, coders. Probably the programs as well. Yeah. Because, you know, you'd have, probably have to do like, I mean, there's like one part where I talk about. I mean, they do layers upon layers upon layers of things to actually get something mm -hmm. to look right. I mean, I, I mean, I see, I see, you know, uh, AD makes a point. There's, there's, you know, not as many people can do it. But now, True. I don't think that's the case now. 101 commercials show, join this for the new digital art program, you know? I mean, there's so many, oh. I at least know two friends who their kids, all they want to do is digital art. There's so but, many digital artists out there now. It used to be, yes, one in a million, you know. Now the the field's got to be so flooded. And it maybe it's just there's not a lot of companies to roll with, but well there's probably they also there takes talent too cuz it takes experience, you know, cuz I mean every day you learn I mean, I'm sure all of these artists don't even with like the practical effects don't come out the, you know, school going like, Oh, I can do this. You have to learn 
I think it's yeah. the same thing with like the CG artists. Like, you know, do you want to hire Joe Schmo that's just out of school that can do this? Or do you want a guy that's been doing it for 20 years that could probably get this done in like two weeks tops? Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I, yeah, can, I, can I think that's the other thing we pay him for. Yeah, but then how do because... we get the guys of the future if we don't hire those guys fresh out of college? Oh, you're, you're saying it. Yeah, that's like what AD said. And it's the same with music as well. Hey, yo. Yeah, I mean, I agree to a, to a point. I just feel like a sculptor is a lot harder to come by than someone can do code. You can go on Google and learn how to do code. Now, I'm not saying it's perfect. You can hop on Fiverr and find somebody to do it. Yeah, it's not perfect. I'm not saying you'll be able to turn out, you know, Star Wars tomorrow. Mm-hmm. But all I'm saying is it's something that can be built upon as far as your knowledge of how to do it. You're born with the skill to sculpt. You're born with the skill to do music. Not everybody yeah. could be a Jimi Hendrix. My space cocktail there. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, when you when you look at it, you're like CGI guys. That it's something they've learned, and sometimes the artists are still there. You still have an artist somewhere else who drew everything and built everything. They're just digitally uploading it. They're bringing it to life mm-hmm. on the computer, so it's a skill you can learn. As far as I could never learn how to play the clarinet, like, you know what I mean? I have no musical talent. The recorder was as far as I got. It was elementary school. Hey, the recorder is basically a clarinet minus the woodwind. Minus any skill, the recorder. (laughs) The recorder sounds the same no matter what you do. I'm a master cowbellist to sing. You can never have enough cowbell. There you go. Just uh, it just amazes me to the amount of money they spend when you have people like we knew a friend, his younger brother finished all the school. He was a good artist. He can do yeah. this stuff. They're sitting around without a job. So there's people yep. out there that can do it. It's just these companies. There's not there are probably only so many companies that kind of cornered the market, you know, but it just seems like such a huge waste of money because I would be very impressed to see those people who did stuff like on face off, you know get the contract because that's that's you know they, they develop it all from very basic they draw it all the way up to sculpting to layering yeah. to designing to painting to you know they do it all you know i mean again i do think there's room for cgi but you know when the movie is so cgi heavy <clears throat> you take away from it yeah is my only thing is that you know i like seeing the creatures and effects yeah. and practical things and you know but then the cgi just like sometimes when you overdo it you kill it yeah i mean we you can agree they're not going to do on like location for the space yeah. scenes you know yeah anyways so opinions miss tay so um I uh, I didn't really care for this movie. <laughs> um, I'm, not, I'm not really a Predator fan. And then watching this was kind of painful for me. Uh, I love Prey, but um, this was just really painful. Uh, so, so I'm going to go into uh, some trivia. Um, so uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger actually turned down the opportunity uh, to return as Dutch in uh, Predator uh, from Predator um, 1987 uh, because his appearance would um, only end in a cameo. 
This is actually his fourth time denying uh, the chance to reprise his role. Um, he skipped out on Predator 2 in 1990 due to salary disputes and then um, ended up actually uh, filming Kinnan. Uh, oh my God. Kindergarten Cop. Thank you. I cannot say that word and I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> um, in 1990, and then also Terminator 2, Judgment Day in 1991. Um, for the crossover film Alien vs. Predator in 2004, he was willing to make a cameo, um, but then had a, no choice but to turn it down due to him being elected the governor of uh, California, and his schedule just made it impossible. And the same reason was why he turned down the uh, cameo for Predators in 2010. Also, another trivia that I found interesting was that um, there's actually a Chinese version of this movie, uh, but it is heavily censored. Um, it runs about two minutes shorter than the actual U.S. version, and this is because it removes nearly, like, all of the violence and gore. Um, and then sometimes actually, like, digitally erasing the blood um, from existing scenes. In addition, uh, nearly all the profanity and sexual innuendos um, are removed um, or additional dialogue was actually used. So that movie sucks even more than this one then. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you want to see a Predator movie without the gore? <laughs> the like... Chinese version would be the most terrible version. Well, actually, no gore, no profanity. We don't want any blood in this movie. It's like, like kind of going, so when you're going to go see a Transformers movie, you're going to go see shit blow up. You're seeing robots fight each other and shit and to blow, blow up. Shit up. Yeah. yeah. And then if you're watching the Michael Bay ones, it's for the like the solar glare, right? So yeah. the, the lens, slow motion turns. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So um, watching this movie without that um, kind of makes it seem like it would be more painful. Well, you know how they get around that sometimes? Is that they will change the color? I agree. Of the black. Blood. Like, that movie would suck. So they'll they'll make the blood a different color. Especially yeah, the they'll night. do white. White, yeah, and it that's yeah. it's different. You really see a murder <laughs> scene where you walk in and the body is covered with white goo. No, yeah. stop it. Stop it. They'll actually make it black too. You and the white goo. Shut up. <laughs> no, but it's true. Oh my god, this room is covered in white goo. Wow! Wow! <laughs> what did he do to these people? How did he kill them? Like, oh my god, Jen, what's your opinion? He's not frustrated anymore. Apparently, yeah, he's he's relaxed now. He's calm. Yeah, he's all relaxed. It's very centered. He's, he found his chi. Yeah. <laughs> All, all his bent up frustration is gone. Stop. All these scientists have paid the price. <laughs> oh dead. my god! Like, I'm good. I'm good now. I'm oh good. my face! It hurts. Okay. <laughs> I'm the same. I, you know, you know, my thing is like special effects, and that was just that. That kind of killed it for me. I mean, I did like the idea of them also not just trying to seek out like the strongest to defeat them, but also to kind of incorporate them into like their DNA, I thought was really interesting. And, you know, all the negative things that surrounded <clears throat> with autism too, I thought it was interesting how they wanted like the autistic child because, you know, <laughs> in a way they, they are a lot smarter than, than all of us if you just pay attention. So I thought that was kind of interesting, but for the most part, 
I watched it again for this show, and I probably won't watch it again. Your sacrifice is noted, Jen. Thank you. I want that two hours back. Or what is it, an hour and 47 minutes? Yeah. Yes. I need that back. Okay. All right, I got some more. EJ, did you give your opinion? Yeah, I think I did when I was discussing it. Overall, I agree. Okay. It's probably the weakest of the franchise. Um, great opportunity. I mean, they had a lot of opportunity, a lot of potential for this movie to be great. Um, I feel like Shane Black kind of blew it. I think he needs to stick to buddy cop movies. Um, yeah. I feel that Never do another Marvel movie either. Yeah, because I feel like Iron Man 3 is a prime Garbage. example that he doesn't belong in certain genres because Iron Man 3 turned out to be Tony Stark and, you know, Rhodey, the buddy villain. cop movie. Because there's no Iron Man in it. If he if he had his way, we would have never seen Iron Man. And then when we do see Iron Man, Tony Stark's not in it. So it's you're like, I'm glad you're bringing that up because that goes into some more uh, trivia that I got for you, and that goes to the poster where it says you will never see him coming, which is a throwback to Iron Man Three, where the Mandarin says you'll never see me coming. Want to point out that Iron Man Three was the worst movie of the franchise. <laughs> the Predator I think I went without saying. <laughs> is also the worst movie in the franchise. Yes, thank you, Shane Black. Thank you. So, also some more some more trivia for you. The Predator shown in the teaser poster is actually the crucified Predator from Predators, identified by the damage in its bio helmet. Hmm. In Jen brought this one up earlier. There was two unused endings for this film, one involving Ripley and Newt being found in the pod. That would have been awesome. Both mm -hmm. wearing breather helmets marked with the logo for the Whalen yutani Corporation. Mm -hmm. and these were filmed with uh, Brianna Watkins portraying both Ripley and Newt. Neither of these endings were ultimately used, and I don't even think they were released on as a uh, bonus footage, which fucking sucks, because that would have been freaking awesome. Yeah. If you wanted to tie them together, that would have been the perfect opportunity to do so. Mm -hmm. And also, inside the Stargazer facility, the makeshift spear you see is a severed xenomorph tail used by Let's Woods in Alien vs. Predator. Which is cool, because let's roll right into Alien versus Predator. Actually, we have questions. Oh, 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 oh. We have questions, It's a trivia question. <laughs> My bad. It's okay. <laughs> I know you got excited. Um, I but did. Before we the whole <laughs> hour of our lives on the Predator. We're almost done. Um, so so uh, we have some trivia questions for you guys um, who are watching and then whoever re-watches as well. Uh, just hit us up in the comments below. Um, so the question is, how many release dates did this movie actually have? And then for your extra credit, what are those dates? Extra credit. I did give an extra credit. <laughs> you get a star. star, star. <laughs> you do. Get you get the gold star. Nope. We'll you get mail the you a hearty handshake. We'll be like, that was awesome. <laughs> <laughs> uh -huh. Yes. <laughs> I like All right. the one that uh, smelled. You know the stickers your kindergarten teacher would oh, give you? Shit. Black actually got it. It was three. Nice. <laughs> was three. They Can't had three whole release dates. Um, and then, uh, so you are correct. Thank you uh, wow. for your comment. Good job. Good job. Kelvin, this is what I want you to do. You take your hand. You reach it way back. 
and just pretend I'm giving you a hearty pat on the back, bud. Yeah. I love you. And he knows fist that. And fist bumps, like. <laughs> Dap it out, bro. Dap yeah. it out. All right. Now we can go into AVP. All right. He's done. He, he has given himself the pat on the back. <laughs> okay. Alien versus Predator. Okay. This was actually a, a 2004 and it takes place in 2004. Um, so it was supposed to be a current kind of situation. This was something that a lot of people, I mean, had high expectations, high anticipation for, because it's something that pe- fans of both franchises were waiting for for a really long time. I mean, there have been hints back and forth, you know, references to Waylon, references to the, you know, uh, activity being involved on either side. So, um Movie takes place in 2004. It's directed by Paul W.S. Anderson. Um, he did Mortal Kombat, um, Soldier, which is actually pretty good if you haven't caught it as far as a sci-fi futuristic. Uh, it's got Kurt Russell in it. Mm-hmm. Um, and Event Horizon, which, which is phenomenal. if you've watched it once and you still have the stomach, I guess you might like it a lot, but most people only watch it once. <laughs> I liked Event Horizon. Some people do. Um, it is fucking gross. But it does give you him the, the scale of what Paul Anderson does. Okay, Paul Anderson does action really good, and he can get into the, I mean, the he will gore. bring you the gore. Okay, the gore. The gore. The I will not eat after watching this movie. Yeah, you, you probably shouldn't eat it on a full stump. Yeah. So that was my mistake. Runtime was an hour and forty-one minutes. Um, the the cast of characters once again is very vast. This usually happens with most Alien and Predator kind of movies being in a franchise because you the diversity of characters. One, this is one of the hard points I think that affect a lot of the plot. Is in movies like this you need a good amount of cast members because the body count is probably going to be high, but. You at the same time, you don't want empty shells getting tossed out left and right because no one gives a damn. Mm-hmm. So then you're just it's wasteful gore. Now, some people could tell you that there's never wasted gore in a movie, but when you're dealing with the budget of a movie and you're dealing with all these scenes that you're gonna have to work towards, the more characters you have to play into these scenes or have to work through a way that they died, and then I'm gonna have to use this much CG and this much special effects for, and then they have absolutely no story is kind of a waste. So just, just thought, you know, me too. For thought, uh, just when you're looking at a cast, you look to see what roles they fill and how important each one is and what well, points the plot they, you know, they facilitate. Anyway, I mean, if it's like a bunch of red shirts getting killed, I don't care. But if yeah. I get like emotionally invested in a character, it yeah. doesn't even, Take a whole lot. Does something like sentimental, you know, I'll, I'll point out as you talk, but I mean, like, if you have a bunch of red shirts getting killed off, you don't yeah. really care. No, I mean, and I think that works when you're dealing with something that's more like a, a combat situation or a war situation or something like that. When those characters die off, you, you kind of get the gist that they're part of the whole effort, the whole war effort. Okay, so you see it as a, as a combined, you know, issue. But when you're dealing with something that's got a you know, let's say any kind of horror movie, you got that kind of integral dozen odd characters, okay? Just like a Jason movie, whatever. But as you break that movie down, the more the 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 less and less you care about those characters, the less really it's just fodder for for gore. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like Jason could walk through fifty people and it not be as influential as yeah. There you exactly. go. Exactly. Exactly. 
Mm-hmm. You, you build on someone to where it, the 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 action and the scene that it happens has has a poignant effect to the, to those watching. Yeah. Um, so we'll get to the characters here and we'll see. Like uh, she's been mentioned during uh, Jeff mentioned her as well during the references to little um, facts and tidbits on the Predator. But uh, Sana Lathan played Alexa Lex during the movie is what she goes by. It's like a, a nickname. Woods. She's an experienced guide. Um, it talks about how many seasons she spent on the ice or mountain climbing. Um, she's a survivalist. She obviously shows the skills, um, um, risk assessment. She understands the, situ- the situation. Um, she's probably one of the most capable people, and you meet her very early on. Um, she has a very um, rough around the edges personality. And it comes off right away like she's not used to dealing with people. And I think that's impacted. You see that in a helicopter scene between her and um, one of the one of the characters, the supporting characters in the movie. He's uh, the, I can't remember what kind of scientist he is, but he's one of the scientists on this expedition. And he's one of the engineers, the isn't he? What was that? He's one of the engineers. Yeah, he's... He basically tries to interact with her, talks about his kids and yeah. stuff, wanting to take a picture, and it shows that she's not very good at that. Although she very she does center her concern around human life and safety and everything like that. You could see she's kind of lost touch with people though. So she's not good at that point. Um she's loosely based on a character from uh uh quadrilogy is what they called it when i looked it up it's machiko noguchi which i'm not really familiar with that character but basically the fact that she's she's a driven kind of professional it it links it to that storyline as well um i've seen nice parallels between her and ripley um both strong female characters uh leaders in their own right both survival uh, they're survivors okay um she comes through and she she gave me that that feel of like Ripley like um she's been hurt she's got ish, you know issues and trauma from before but she's she presses on and she survives and when she does that she tries to bring as many people with her that she can safely doesn't mean she relates to them well sometimes she rubs everyone the wrong way and you see that in the beginning but you see where her heart is at she cares about the lives even the people she doesn't know so um She's very no-nonsense. Uh, like I said, um, she tells it like it is. She tells him, like, hey, I don't like your ideas. I'm going to walk, you know, stuff like that. Uh, it takes the fact that she's got to think about the welfare of, of others in order for her to kind of come around sometimes instead of just going with what her gut tells her or her knowledge. She's a she's a great actress. I think she does an awesome job pulling this off. Um, she's probably one of my top sci- sci-fi heroes. It doesn't matter, female, male. She's uh, interesting to the fact that she keeps her head and keeps her cool, and she's constantly trying to figure out an answer, a solution, you know, more so than why, more so than dwelling on stuff. She's like, all right, this is where we're at. This is where we need to go. This is what we're going to do to get there. And she she moves on. Um, uh, next character, uh, Raul Bova. He plays uh, Professor Sebastian De Rosa, who's an uh, Italian archaeologist. He's also kind of an integral character. He's a protagonist. He's kind of like uh, her main confidant or sidekick in this they kind of hit it off early it's like he could tell one she's an attractive woman he he's a handsome guy they obviously got eyes for each other right away which happens all the time of course we all know but um all of us fall victim to that italian archaeologist guy you know but um 
He's a member of the exploration team. He's very knowledgeable about many different forms of culture as far as it goes back into archaeology. So that's why he's on this. But he plays a very good reference role and also a good role like kind of keeping Lex on track. Like when Lex kind of seems like she's losing that that battle of her own like individualism and being a isolationist. And she's like, I don't give a fuck about these people. And then, you know. He'll come along international, give her like a joke or a nudge or, hey, you know, let's do the right thing, you know, and then she's okay, okay. At least he's cool. That's what it kind of reminds me of. It's always those scenes where it's like, fuck you, fuck you, you're cool. He's that guy. He's the one where it's like, I fucking hate everybody in he's here. that cool guy. So um, he plays a part in kind of giving you information, reading hieroglyphics and so forth that come about in this so he can kind of give you the history that involves and it helps really build some of the best backstory and history of this whole franchise on both ends, in my opinion. I mean, if you watch this movie and you're not a huge fan, you don't have to be. But if you at least take what they developed, I think it's an awesome idea. I think that it took some real insight and a good job of melding all this stuff together in a feasible um, origin story. Now, most hardcore fans of the franchise will tell you this isn't canon. This whole movie's not canon. It wasn't agreed upon. It doesn't stick to the whole books and comics. I'm like, yeah, but they took what's out there. They took everything we know from the the cinematic universe and put it together in a package that made sense. That's what made it good. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Um, So we go on. We got Lance uh, Henriksen. Um, You all know him as Bishop. You know, you've seen him in a lot, you know, a lot of sci-fi movies. We've there's probably a hundred movies where you see this guy in. Okay, <laughs> he plays uh, Charles Bishop Whalen, so he plays the head of the Whalen Corporation. So now we're getting that tie-in to the whole Whalen, you know, xenomorphs, the whole alien saga. Okay, but he plays a billionaire. He's got a um, spoiler alert. He's got a um, in a medical condition that he's he's gonna die. Okay, so he's he's got limited time left on this planet. And he looks at this whole expedition as an opportunity to change his legacy or, or at least add a footnote on his legacy that's good. Most billionaires don't have a whole lot of good. Um, probably stepped on a lot of people and shat in people's Cheerios a lot in order to become a billionaire. Um, so he also is obviously a reference to Bishop that we all know. He mean Bishop ends up looking like the, the, the um, head of this company. Um, he plays a good part as men. He... he Numerous times he's able to play on Lex's heartstrings and kind of get her back into, hey, you know, if you care so much about life, then you should understand that this expedition is more than just a, a you know, a money making venture or anything, you know, and there's lives at stake. And I think that it, it play he plays the um, reflective pool, if you would, for Lex, the primary uh, protagonist's father. Okay. During the movie, she references a story about how she lost her father. And I believe this current situation really, you know, brings that back. He plays or he fills that role of how she felt with her father. Um, Ewan Bremer, he's uh, one of the Scottish engineers. That's the individual that Lex has a moment with on the helicopter. He's a Scottish engineer. Um, He's a very friendly guy. Um, Lex comes off as being kind of dismissive of him, kind of laughs at him for not knowing stuff. But he's still friendly. So in a way, it kind of puts her outside of her comfort zone because normally she's probably used to one or two derogatory or cold statements to get someone to leave her alone. But he's still friendly and, you know, hey, you know, so she's like, all right, I guess I like this guy. He's goofy. 
and he's he's kind of important through the movie because of the fact that uh he's he's hopeful and uh, his character basically doesn't give up and he's 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 led that way probably from what he indicates his family ties he talks about his sons you know but um when you see him he's probably one of the least uh capable characters you see like he's very intelligent but uh you don't think he'd probably survive uh camping alone and uh on a campground but um you know he comes through as, as as being hopeful and he's that fuel like hey we can do this um colin solomon who plays uh maxwell uh stafford he's called max he's kind of like the right hand man um he's former british special forces so you know he's like immediately he gives that that uh sense of awe when he's there like he gives you that uh presence okay mm -hmm. it's it's just it's something they teach you you know like certain career fields to to exude a presence and it's given off by the way you hold yourself your posture the way you speak the way you look at individuals you kind of you control the room with your presence and he does as soon as he walks in he's a veteran actor you've seen him in resident evil um he played the lead of their their special infiltration team um you've seen him in a lot of stuff he's a british actor he's great um he always comes through with a very uh impressive character um unfortunately he's short-lived but he does add that sense in here that you know you know there's individuals amongst them that are very uh capable okay and he and to see how capable and um together this man is and then to see how quickly he he is uh eliminated lets you know this is well outside of the realm of what normal people can deal with so he kind of plays that factor he's that character to let you measure how much it would take to survive this situation if a former british special forces guy bites it in less than a minute you're probably not going to live very long i mean just saying i mean unless you know i don't know jeff may have some super secret skills we don't know about you know when he used well, to be ninja, ninja. <laughs> he looks like he's handy with a knife <laughs> see ninja skills we don't know just Maybe shanks. he's better than i don't Max. know nothing about knives but shanks <laughs> But um, anyway, so he's he's an interesting guy. Plus, he's a familiar face we all we've all seen. Um, Tommy Flanagan, <clears throat> he plays Mark Verhinden. I'm trying to pronounce it correctly. It's very hard because in the movie, the Scottish yeah, guy says did. his name the most during the movie, and he's got such a thick accent. You're like, I can't even I can't even copy that. So anyway, he plays one of the uh, security force guys that are on his team this expedition. You might have seen him before. He played uh, chips on. Um, Sons of Anarchy. Sons of Anarchy. He's, I believe, he's the guy that was in Gladiator. Um, he's been around right. a long time. He always plays kind of the supporting role. Um, this is another case where he does a supporting role. He plays the uh, um, tough guy that doesn't want to listen to the lady kind of character. Um, he pulls it off, but once again, I feel like he's a character could have been fleshed out a little more. But we don't have a whole lot of time. You have an hour and forty-one minutes to get through this. Um, can we go on to Karsten Norgrad? He's the drilling team leader. He dies pretty quick. The only thing that he's important for is you see that you get, it's the first time you get to see the predators. Okay. Um, you get to see them walk through the security team like nothing. And then they get the drilling guy kind of gets in the way. And you actually get to see all three of them materialize outside of their cloaking device. And you get a first look. So he's kind of like your first look. And then he dies. So he fulfilled his role. Joseph Rye is uh, plays Joe Connors, a member of the escort company's exploration team. He's referenced once, I think, when he dies. Um, Agatha de la Bo she's French. 
Agatha the French. She plays Adele Rousseau. She's referenced a couple times in the movie. Yeah, that's a conversation. There you go with uh, Lex's character about bringing a gun. Lex is like, I've been on the ice a lot. Guns never saved anyone. And makes that famous quote like, it's like a condom. I'd rather have one and not need it than need it not have it. I love and that quote. Everybody knows that quote. That's probably one of the best quotes in this movie. Although, you know, she's uh, she doesn't live very long either. So... Um, Somebody always has to die first. They, a lot of them died first. <laughs> and because of the way that it kind of goes back and forth between the characters, it's kind of hard to tell who exactly died first. But if I had to take a guess, it would be part of the security team that stayed up at the drilling area. If I had to guess. So, um, Sam Troton, he plays Thomas Parks. Uh, He's another archaeologist. He's very unimportant, except for the fact that he accompanies around Sebastian. Um, he's Sebastian's little like uh, hmm, buddy, and he dies. Um, <laughs> the only reason why I bring him and the, the uh, Adela up is because they end up dying in a, a room that we get the first look at the uh, face hugger aliens. So the face hugger aliens actually take them and implant the embryos on both of those characters as well as some other characters. So they do serve that purpose. Like you kind of know them a little bit as the movie starts. So you're like, Hey, I know them. I don't really care about them. But then when they get the face huggers on, you're like, Oh, I'd fucking hate to be them. So that's what their job was. Like, don't be me. Okay. And uh, she brought that gun and she didn't even. Nope. She brought a gun yeah, to a, a facehugger fight. Other direction. Like the facehugger's jumping at her face, gets her, and then she shoots the wall. I'm like, thank yeah. God you had that gun. <laughs> and then uh, we have Tom Woodruff Jr. He, he actually plays the grid alien. And I think he, he might do some of the more um, suit characters. He You'll never see him in the movie, but he played the pivotal roles as far as the physical and the practical effects go. Um, same with Ian White. He played the Scar Predator, so he's in the movie a lot and playing the role of one of the, the most important predators in the movie. And as you as they go over the plot, you'll see um, out of the three predators, the Scar Predator is the most um, important, most influential to the story. Um, and uh, the White also basically played all three of the predators is a little tidbit of information. So when it came time for the need to have someone do the physical portion, he actually got to suit up as the Celtic predator, the scar predator, and the elder chopper. and chopper. So it was kind of neat. I mean, if you're if you know any, you know, you get to meet anyone, you get to meet that guy, you've met, you know, four different predators. That's pretty cool. Um, <laughs> overall, this movie was not greatly received, especially by critics, which always happens. We talked about that, that whole, you know, they don't give it a, a very good inkling from the beginning when they hear sci-fi, especially sci-fi horror. Um, critics gave it 20%. Now, fans gave it 39%. So there were a lot of fans who were like, hey, this wasn't everything we wanted, but it did bring up some cool things. But then a lot of the people who funnel into that, they're the ones who also write in, hey, this didn't stick with canon. Okay, this didn't stick with the story from the books and the whatever. And if anyone knows anything about certain kinds of um, fan bases, it's kind of like the Star Wars fan base. Star Wars fan base is very hardcore. If you mess with their canon, they are unforgiving, okay? They're going to show up and split you like you're Darth Maul. Okay? That's, <laughs> Dude, that's not too many people shit on that last trilogy, man. Yeah, they. I mean, 
Don't bring that up. Not unless you want to be, you know, head on a pike or some shit. There'll oh, be no. stormtroopers banging on your door, dude, ready to kill you for saying well, that. Well, they ain't going to hit you because they're stormtroopers. Yeah, they'll get you. And like, like a forest full of Ewoks, they'll be on your ass. So, anyway, this is kind of the same situation. You got fans of the franchise that were just like, what the... F-? Because they totally changed, you know, they were like, we're going to come up with an origin story, which I, th- I think is one of the best things about this movie. But anyway... We'll get into that as they go into plot. IMDb gave it a 5.6, so almost identical. IMDb kind of ranges right around 5, okay? Yeah. Rarely do they give a movie less than 5. And that movie's got to be terrible. I mean, we're talking like, I don't know. I'm, I'm trying to think. I agree, exactly. The movie doesn't have to stick to canon, or can re- it can create a new new avenue of canon if it's done really well. That's what right. it should be played by. Um, so I lost track there for a second, but one thing I did like to note is that IMDb, the fans gave it a 7.5 and a lot of that was built after the fact because it became more of a cult following. The more people watched it and took the time to go, Oh, they really put some effort in here, man. I didn't realize, you know, Lex is really cool. She's kind of like Ripley. Oh, this is kind of like that scene. You know, this is very reminiscent of this. It gave more. So people were like, Oh, I'm going to hold on to this, you know? And then, I think that's what fueled the fact that we were going to get an, uh, you know, this eventually. Um, like I said, overall, fans of the franchise enjoyed the crossover aspect. It's something everybody's been waiting for. And the fight scenes between the Predator and the the uh, alien, when it comes down, you got you got a scene. It goes on for about five minutes, and it really involves some heavy battle between two different, you know, a Predator, two Predators, and two different aliens, and it, it really gets going. And um, I think people loved it. It gave you a little bit more of a backstory, a feel to the the, the struggle between the two. So um, overall, that's the movie. That's the characters. And I think we're moving on now. Yeah. So the next thing that we have is our location. So uh, it was filmed in Prague um, in the uh, Czech Republic and also in uh, Mont Blanc, uh, France. Uh, France, yeah. you can see uh, it has the same set for or this. It, other places that France has been used um, was in the The World is Not Enough, uh, the 007 movie. And in Prague, um, other movies that have been like filmed there is uh, Jack Ryan um, and Mission Impossible. Hmm. The overall budget was $60 million. Uh, opening weekend, it only got $38 million. Um, and I do think that people do look at uh, what critics say um, and use that as their going basis of like, if they're going to go watch a movie or not. Um, but like AD and I are more of a, we're going to go watch it and give it our own honest reviews. Um, yeah. Idea. Black said that, that AVP came out and um, a couple of years before it's time. So yeah, absolutely agree. Um, however, gross worldwide, it got 177 million. Um, so the music, uh, Harold Klausner, um, it was the composer uh, or was the person that did the soundtrack. He um, also did uh, 2012 and The Day After Tomorrow. Um, 
and a couple of pieces. I'm not going to go into all of them because it did have an extensive um, range of music, but a couple of pieces that caught my eye or rather my ear um, as I was listening to the soundtrack again and rewatching the movie was uh, 1904. Uh, I'm really like a sucker for woodwind runs. Um, it's a great suspenseful orchestra piece. Uh, it has the AVP main theme. Uh, it has somber hints to the piece and it has like mystery. Kind of reminds me a little bit of like the Pirates of the Caribbean, um, like one of their songs. Um, for some reason, I had to look up to make sure that he, that Harold Klausner actually wasn't the one that did Pirates of the Caribbean. He didn't. Um, down the tunnel, uh, this really makes you feel like you're on the edge of your seat. You're waiting for something new to like happen, something to happen. Um, temple. Uh, so, okay. So remember, I love woodwinds, but I also love pianos. Um, and this piece like sneaks in the occasional piano, um, little notes. And it's kind of like Ratatouille when he was describing like the notes of cheese with like adding like fruit to it. Like that's how I felt with this piece when it had the, um, <laughs> piano like added into it. It was, it was very nice, uh, and pleasant to my ears. Dark World, um, I loved it. It literally makes you feel like you're looking for something in a temple, like that hidden gold. Um, but instead, you're not looking for gold, but something more sinister. And then you kind of just like start running because you found it. And it's like, not it. yeah. mm -hmm. found the wrong thing. <laughs> you're about to get fucked up. Yeah. Um, <laughs> alien fight. Um, it's everything it needs to be. It's dramatic. It has brash cr uh, crescendos, um, woodwind runs, and the drums just kind of feel like they're beating for like a heartbeat. Drums are always like the background, um, like main staple of the, the tempo. Um, I Need This is another uh, song and the last song that I will um, talk about the piece. It has like a bitter sweet ending vibes to it, but something is like lurking in the fog and it's like ready to strike at you. Um, so it's like, it's kind of the end, but at the same time, is it the end? Um, so fun fact is that the sun, this soundtrack actually won um, in the, as a 2005 um, winner for the BMI film uh, music award and BMI stands for uh, Broadcast Music Inc. Yeah. Wonderful breakdown of the music, Tay. Thank you. Now I will break down our predators for you and tell you what this fantastic movie was about. Because I think this movie is fantastic. Save your opinions. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so in this movie, we saw the ancient predator who was there with the young predators. Obviously, they're there to... This is their becoming of age. Like, you're earning your stripes, dudes. And you can tell who the ancient predator is because he has the the facial like hair, and it looks like it's weird. If you look at the ancient predator up close, it looks like he has a beard. And then you had the three young predators: Scar, Celtic, and Chopper. They all played a role in the last movie that we discussed, the Predator. It also in this movie, I think toward the end, we get our first pred alien, which is a hybrid alien predator. Which I think is cool, because that's how y'all didn't know the face hugger when it according depends on what it's attached to. What burst out of its chest determines what that species of predator or not predator. I'm sorry, well alien will be. 
So if it hits a human, you're going to get a pred eight, a pred human hybrid. So it's kind of cool in that regard. But so what's the movie about? Here we go. Your IMDb special. When a private satellite encounters an unidentified source of heat in Antarctica, and it's found to be a pyramid buried deep underground, a search team comprising of the top-of-the-line archaeologists and engineers are sent to Antarctica to find out more. Once there, the team comes across signs which indicate that the place is inhabited by an unknown alien species. It is not long before the aliens begin to hunt the team members. At the same time, a trio of coming-of-age predators have arrived to collect the skulls of the aliens as trophies. And the humans are caught between a deadly battle between the two born species. <laughs> I need a job reading this shit for the movie theaters. Morgan Freeman, take a back seat, bud. <laughs> the redneck Morgan Freeman is here, man. So, source material... So obviously there's an Alien vs. Predator comic book that was produced by Dark Horse Comics between 1989 and 2020 on an intermediate basis. And I believe 2020 or 2021, Marvel acquired both franchises from Dark Horse. However, films did not follow either the sentence or the stories of the original comic books. However... The Predators' use of the Xenomorph blood to mark themselves are referenced in this movie at the end when you see them kill the alien queen. You've seen the young, I think it's the Celtic Predator, who is the only one who survived, take, break off a piece of the tail and, get, and scar her the way it scarred itself to say, hey, you're one of us and mm -hmm. here's you a trophy and enjoy your life, young lady, and getting off this fucking Antarctic circle so the concept of the alien versus predator originated with an aliens versus predator comic book crossover published by dark horse in an anthology issue dark horse presents number 36 in february of 1990 this short story was quickly expanded into a four issue series several months later which i think i may have stole one of tay's trivias off of that little tidbit of info so one thing I did want to bring up is that I think the first time that you actually saw that the alien actually takes different attributes from whatever host it impregnates, correct me if I'm wrong, my friends that are watching, correct me if I'm wrong, I want to say it was Alien 3 when they're on the prisoner planet and it impregnates a dog. Yep. And you see how much more agile it is and how it kind of like more or less has those like, dog attributes kind of like yeah kind of like more canine so i, I don't it's really good at begging it just like, gives you the eyes like ears. <laughs> all you had to do was throw a ball they did all this shit and all you had you to do was get it boy you're right go get it boy get it yeah, okay yeah so. i don't think that's the ball he's after yeah. Well, what? No. Okay. <clears throat> so that I, I think that was one of the first times you saw it. And then again, um, not to jump to all the way to the end, but everybody's seen it at this point when it 
um, becomes a pretty alien. I mean, that's again, the extreme that you can see that it, it adopts what it, whatever it um, impregnates. And the special effects, my friends, I was is back. so geeked to do this. Ah, we brought back my very favorite ADI. If you guys haven't tuned in the last time, Algamated Dynamics Incorporated ADI. You guys aren't familiar with it? Stan Wimson, Todd Woodruff, lots of our friends there at the practical effects that we absolutely love jumped in on this parade. So, um, little known fact, um, Edge FX actually originally bid for the creature effects in this film. Um, and they proposed like this really radical design or redesign for the aliens and the predators. And it thankfully ended up being rejected because it was just like, just their sketches alone was just way far off from what the original alien and prior designs were. So that got canned. So yeah, was hard. Yeah, thank God. Because you know what? If you would have screwed that up, you would have lost me because I absolutely adore this movie. Um, so ADI was hired. Um, and this, um, and just to note, they worked on um, Alien 3 and then also Alien Resurrection that we'll talk about later down the road. Um, so this marks the first time that Alec Gillis and Todd Woodruff Jr., those are the ADI founders, um, had the opportunity to design and build the Predators. Now, both of them had some experience in this due to um, working with Stan Winston's effect company during the production of the original 1987 Predator. Okay. Um, so some things to note that the Predator's wrist blades, one of them actually extended four times longer than those in the previous Predator films. I think it was one of the first uh, Predators that you saw. Um, they also um, produced a larger plasma caster for the Scar Predator. And then the Predator reflected, like, um, they actually built them differently. And they actually tried to go more with the comics where they had, like, a wider shoulder, a more narrow waist, and they had, like, smaller heads. Kind of give them more like a, yeah, like, almost like a hero silhouette. Kind well, of. They wanted and them to be younger and coming of age as well. <clears throat> right. Um, and then also, um, each predator was given a unique mask um, to kind of distinguish them from the other. And these masks were actually used um, by using clay and then molds um, with fiberglass. And then they were kind of given like this uh, weathered look. Again, you can always go to the um, uh, ADI has a, a YouTube page that you can actually go and, and watch them create these things, which... Their website will have it too on their blog. Yeah. I fell down this rabbit hole <laughs> and I started watching these YouTube. Oh, wait, I got, I got to get out of here. I was there for an hour. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> sorry. I was there for a while. That's very impressive. I mean, just the, the amount of work, it, the detail they put in there actually makes it look like some kind of metal that's been weathered, you know? It's and you're like, paint. Amazing. Isn't it crazy? Yeah. It's just fire. Lots of stuff and it sucks. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, I can't even do that over that. CGI. Guys any day. A mask and it looks like a real alien mask. I'm like, God. 
it's just like, I just, I can't believe it's just fiberglass and paint. Like, it's just like amazes me. But think about it. If they did it today, it would be 3D printed and it would look real. Yeah. You could do that too. I wonder how much that would cost to do 3D printing. I don't know, man. They're selling that stuff. That's what I'm saying. I think Mm -hmm. it really depends. It's kind of like how the government buys a hammer for like $150,000. Okay. It's like Hollywood does the same thing. It's like okay, I'm just going to contract out to Lucas Arts or uh, what is the Light and Shadow Light, Light, Light and Magic. You know, they're just going to contract out to someone they know, and then the person's like, "Oh yeah, my my hourly CGI rate is four hundred thousand dollars." Well, you know, but you, you know, there's another thing. It's just like with these people that are are protesting that aren't getting paid for their exactly. work. Talking about the writers. Like, you know, they, they deserve to get paid good money. So on Etsy right now, I what? can buy a predator mask with hair for $357 and 47 cents. Is it three? But the printed? mask. Oh yes. It'd be 3d printed with the actual hair that was movable. And just the mask itself. If I just wanted mm-hmm. the mask, no hair, $153 and 20 cents. Dude, I would wear that shit Jeff could, every year use your own hair, Jeff. for life. Kind of like, you know, <laughs> we can use your own hair and just kind of pull it out and just kind of put no, it I mean, this, I mean, these, this mask is like absolutely fantastic, too. Yes. I'm not going to bullshit. It, it looks amazing. It's actually I wearable. I want the one with the like. <laughs> the mandibles. Yeah. All right. All right, let me talk about the alien. $60. $60 for that mask. So the alien, um, the alien is actually a hydraulic puppet that was created with, um, and the movements were actually um, intended to be faster. Um, The alien was, um, they were able to give it, um, because it was a puppet, they were actually able to give it be more slimline and more like a skeletal skeletal um, appearance instead of it being just like a person in a suit. I think a, a lot of that you can see is some of the behind the scenes and um, the first alien movie. You can see that, you know, the, our, our guy that was in the, in the suit. Um, so speaking about the predator, our, our alien queen, I'm sorry, actually took six puppeteers, six, to run it badass she was now awesome. if you note she's actually bigger than the one in that um aliens movie because she yeah. is a lot older um there's actually a theory that um the reason why she's bigger is because she is older and that they've probably refrozen her thawed her out refroze her and Amazing. used her for a really long time for her to um produce these eggs that um they needed to do these kind of rites of passage so anyhow, um, so there's three puppeteers for her head and body, two for her arms, and then a sixth to ensure that all the signals were reaching the computers at an appropriate time. Um, <clears throat> the alien queen also had um, three variations of her. She had a, a 4.8 meter like practical version, a 1.2 meter puppet, and then a full CGI version that they they also used. I think kind of towards the end when she was like running on the ice, I think is where they used more of a, a CGI version because I think it ended up being way too dangerous to actually try to get a puppet to do all that stuff. Um, and then you had um, 
a visual effects supervisor that supervised a lot of the things that the alien queen did. And it's actually the same one. His name is John Bruno that did the abyss. So they brought the, I know, man, they brought That's the big one. money there. John Bruno at the house. Bruno. <clears throat> so John Bruno actually relied a lot on the expertise of his crew to, and this is key. My friends, you blend CGI with various, scale models and miniatures i think is paramount if you're going to use cgi i think it really needs to be a blend unless it just looks like you you guys watch all those cheesy sci-fi movies i do you know did they pay like a buck five-headed shark (laughs) shark. five-headed shark i'm telling you that's one of the worst movies you ever watch that or check it out llamageddon Oh you my God, I've seen that. Me. You won't thank me. You <laughs> check it out. Um, so, um, so at one point during filming, just to kind of get an idea of what our poor man John Bruno did. Now, again, he's the visual effects supervisor. So he had four separate units running at the same time, and he had to supervise all four. Wow. And he had to be involved in all four of them all at the same time. I don't think that poor man like slept at all in order to get all of this stuff or done. He's on clones of himself. Maybe. CGI of himself. He yeah. CGI'd Ooh. himself. Oh, God, that's so cheesy. Now, <clears throat> one thing is that the face huggers in this movie are entirely CGI. Now they're done good though. Yeah, they did a really good job. I was actually surprised to know that these were totally CGI. Mm-hmm. Now, certain shots they use prosthetics um, on the on no. the actors. Yeah, well, there was one I think um, when it was flying through the air. There's one predator, and I think the predator ended up using like a. It ended up cutting it in half. I think when it was flying through the air, they had it mounted in like a long pole. And, yeah, but but a lot of times they just use like a prosthetic just for like lighting and markers, and then they would go in and like CGI it, <clears throat> which honestly to like to me like made it a little bit more ominous because it moved so well, it looked so realistic. But yeah, we're gonna they did a really good job, I think, bringing it too, because like it, yeah. it looked so much like the one from the you know the Aliens movie with. Uh, Right, and so on. When when you see him in the in in the aliens movie, you see the same kind of movement and uh, the focus. I mean, to the detail. I mean, I didn't know it was CGI only because when you get down to the detail in AVP, you see yeah. that their appendages actually look the same. It kind of looks like it has a fingernail on it. It's like it's yeah. kind of gross but, because it's like a finger with a fingernail. It's pretty gross. Yeah, and I agree with AD. Like them blending things and keeping things original, Close, like yeah. The, they would have shot themselves in the foot. They would have went with edge FX and just totally changed the design of everything. I don't like, think we'd don't. be sitting here talking about it if they would have. No, not with a smile on my face. Yeah, it would end up looking like a Furby like... jumping on someone's face. Like a Furby's just like oh. a gremlin. Yeah, yeah, a gremlin. It's like it's not nearly as scary. <clears throat> so Furbies the... are pretty scary, but <laughs> so uh Another uh, company came in to help with CGI. They were called Double Negative. I like that name. Double Negative. That's pretty that badass. Cost? 
Right? <laughs> I thought it was kind of cool. I was like, double negative. That's a sweet company. <laughs> They're really positive in the end. Um, so they created all the weapons. <laughs> math jokes. That Anytime you need a good math joke, we're here for you. Um, so I was actually shocked to know that all the weapons in the movie were CGI. Really? Yes, that's what they said. All the weapons in the movie were CGI. It seemed like a real physical, I mean, now that's yeah. CGI worth the money because when he throws the blade that one time and it yeah. comes through the yeah. closing gap. It actually yeah. sparks off of stuff, and it passes by Lex and Sebastian. You're like, that looked like something real almost hit them. That's a good job. That's a really good yeah. Job. I mean, they yeah, they did awesome. Wow. Um. So there's another uh, company, the hmm. Universal Production Partners, UPP in Prague, as the VFX. So the visual effects house produced the Chamber of the Gods. So they're the one that actually did the, the stage, if you will. Mm. Um, so for all intents and purposes, this was probably one of the more complicated sequence. And, and this is where I was talking about the layers. So in just one shot, 30 layers were used to get like the desired effects of like moving walls and smoke oh. and atmosphere and i mean just you name it 30 layers that's a lot it's pretty wild like, yeah like i don't mean to so just just talking about like when i make something like with a cricket i don't know what you guys if you guys know what a cricket is but it's for um scrapbooking just making something with like four layers is a huge pain in the ass just trying to print everything, cut it out and lay it out. I mean, I can imagine just doing a computer and just having to line it up just perfectly for it to look great. I mean, just 30 layers in just one shot. Is Do you know what else has layers? Onions. Onions. <laughs> Ogres. Ogres have layers. Ogres, yeah. Shrek has layers. Cakes have layers. Parfait. Yeah, Everybody parfait. loves parfait. Why don't you go with parfait? Everybody loves Everybody parfait. Loves parfait. parfait. Layers. It's true. Everybody it was the way parfait. she was saying layers. I was just like, Many layers. Many layers. <laughs> so, um, and this team also added like a couple of things here and there. Like they added fire, like fire flashes, sparks, and stuff. To, like especially like when the alien queen's awakening. Um, and they also did a lot of like the digital matte paintings, compositing, retouches, stuff like that. So they kind of helped out in other areas too. So, again, like it's not just one. FX company coming in like ADI came in and did like almost all the creature effects and everything but you also had like CGI companies and visual effects companies coming in to like help and that's freaking awesome anyways Miss Taylor so uh, my opinions on this movie is I thought it was pretty dope I liked it um, I yeah that's I, I like the the movie. Uh, so some of the fun facts um, that I wrote was Inkworks uh, produced actually a set of trading cards for the film, uh, including a limited edition subset that were um, incorporated uh, like samples of the fabric from costumes that were actually like worn by actors wow. in the film. They want cool. it. Yeah. Yeah. I want it. <laughs> I thought that was pretty cool. Um, <laughs> this is actually the only movie uh, featuring a xenomorph 
in which no humans um, were killed by an adult alien. Mm. And to date, to date, uh, AVP is the only alien predator AVP franchise movie that is rated PG-13 in the United States. All other movies are actually rated R. It's interesting. Yeah. Hmm. All right. EJ, your thoughts, my man. Let's um, get that opinion. I think it's an excellent movie. Um, if I was to give it on the one to ten, I'd give it a, a an eight. Um, Ooh, because the way here. it plays into the the franchise, um, I feel like it doesn't get the love it should. Because I think it's a cornerstone of where I think they should have gone in that direction, be it the origin story and everything. Um, yep. The casting was great. Uh, Lex is, like I said, probably one of my favorite uh, sci-fi heroes, just because of the fact that she picks up and carries on. And if you've watched this movie, spoiler alert, it gets anyone who can fight toe-to-toe, you know, melee weapons, and earn the respect of a predator to get their mark, their tribal mark or whatever, you're a badass. Mm -hmm. I mean, all the other people we've discussed up until now, I mean, McKenna, all of them, like, come on, dog. She fought next to him with, like, a broken tail of an alien and killed some, okay? A queen. Not just a alien, a queen. She helped fight and kill a queen with her. So anyway, I I think it's a great movie. Um, I think if if you're a fan of any part of the franchise and you haven't caught it, you're you're doing yourself a disjustice. You need to check it out. Um, Pick it up. I hope that they carry it. Um, Being that the facts that uh, Tay just threw out that it was only a PG-13 surprises me because they did just enough to show you enough gore to where maybe your mind took care of the rest but to me it's still one of the most out there like i mean you get everything from the chest burster to the you know aliens, uh, second mouth penetrating someone when they're biting. i mean you get everything but you don't have the gore level that would have pushed it to an r but it's still so good right so like i but said it does I to show you, you don't always need it Exactly. Don't need the gore all this, the time. This is better. I mean, you think about it. I know this is just, a, I'm going off on a tangent here, but if Tangents you think back, some of the greatest ones, like, okay, Hitchcock. We always considered Alfred Hitchcock like the, the father of horror. Dude, okay? love him. When you go back, Psycho, he never once shows the knife hitting her in the shower. Not once. But everybody in their mind, if you ask them, they remember this terrible stabbing scene. She doesn't get hit with once. The only thing you ever see, you hear the sound of something being stabbed, in the blood and you see splatter. blood in the bathtub. Okay? That's yep. it. But your mind is so powerful, it created the scene more in-depth and more disturbingly than anything they could have probably put on screen at the time, which mm-hmm. is what I feel they got with that direction. Practical effects give you that edge because they make it feel so real, and you can bring the actor and the effect so close that you know they can touch and it makes it that visceral moment and you you imagine so much more it's so much better so anyway like i said an eight overall for me jen um gosh overall i like um i think i think it was kate had said like i remember when this movie was coming out and i absolutely could not wait for it to come out like i was so stoked uh, probably the only negative thing that I would say about this movie is I felt bad for the Predators. I know. 
I know I did. I felt bad for him because you, they had a lot of human interference and you had these young predators that were, you know, trying to coming go of age. through one of their this is a coming of age story. It is. It really is. And you know, a lot of them, I feel like they needlessly died. I know it sounds so stupid. It's also stupid when I'm saying it, but they needlessly died because as a parent, as a parent, I did to lose the child. Fucking like when I watched again, like fucking humans. Wait, that's me. Damn it, you know it made me mad because you know, probably a lot of them would have lived if it wasn't for the human interference, especially that part when the um their plasma casters were taken. Yeah, I think that was you know. That was the the point where it kind of screwed them over because if they would have had their plasma casters, they would have, you know, done better. But but all over, I love this movie. I was kind of bummed when the predator at the end died, but you know, yeah, Scar was cool. Yeah, yeah, I was kind of like I wish they he would have said something because like knew that they had the you know, face her on them. They went onto the ship. I'm like, I knew they were dead at this point, but you know, I don't think he, he thought he was going to make it at that point. It's, it's what I felt. I didn't think he was thought he was going to make it out of the temple. Yeah. So I kind of felt figured, like he was sacrificed himself for the greater. Yeah, I think he was planning on, I'm going to die here. I'm just going to go out like a G and take as many of them as I can. But then as it went on, you know, and he got outside, Things happened too quickly, and he died before he could, you know. I mean, he would already gotten rid of his bomb. So there was, you know, he probably figured, I'm dead. I don't know if they'll even, you know. But when they came back, they took his body without even checking it. You know what I mean? If you watch as, you know, we're going to go into the next movie, the sequel. They had yeah, I was about to, to say, save that one for later. Could, you know? Well, you know, honestly, it's like shame on the Predators for not checking. Like, oh, wait, they were around some aliens. It was a, it was a rookie mistake. I'm we sorry, Tay, but if, if we find your body, Tay, near an alien invasion and there's xenomorphs everywhere, before we bring your body back with us, Tay, I'm making sure somebody checks you. Hey, I got news for you. We ain't bringing no. your ass back. We burning you where you at. might be contaminated. You we get burned. Sure good. You're getting a Viking funeral. So, yeah. Tay was awesome. We'll set her on fire. <laughs> Viking All right. funeral for you. Ducaris. <laughs> I got one more set of fun facts. So, and then I'm going to give you my opinion, because my opinion matters too. So, much like an alien, the exploration team wears color-coded uniforms in this movie. Stafford mercenaries wore silver coats. The scientists and archaeologists wear yellow coats. And Quinn's drilling team wears orange overalls. The only exceptions are Waylon and Letts, who also wear silver coats, but quickly changes them to red winter jacket and pants underneath. So something to think about there. That's pretty neat. But I will give this movie, since we're going smoke pit style on this one, I'm going to give it four out of five. Yep. I pups. agree. I agree. Mm-hmm. And with that, EJ, you own the trivia question, my friend. What do you have for us? Uh, I'm going to go with, can anyone name all three of the predators, the young predators that came to uh, earn part in this, this process? Give us their names. Multiple occasions we listed their names. I know. 
and they're all really freaking cool. It's like a, a Scottish uh, biker gang nicknames. They're the Hales Angels of uh, the Predator family. So, what about the Mufasa's brother? Yeah. Were you throwing hints out? <laughs> Ooh. One of them is a droid in the upcoming TV series, Ahsoka. Ooh. Ooh, that's a good answer. So while we wait for those answers, EJ, are you ready for the next and final movie that we will be talking about? I am. Hold on just a second. I don't want to miss anything. Grab my note. Okay. All right, everyone. I know somebody We're out there is Googling to the answer the... to this trivia question. That's it. Aliens versus Predator Requiem, which came out in 2007. This is the sequel to the movie we just discussed. Um, it's an hour and 34 minutes long. It was directed by Colin Strauss and Greg Strauss, um, both of which this is one of their mate, their first time stepping into the director's seat themselves as far as the whole movie. They are most they have mostly been supervisors and directors of visual effects up until now. So they're very um, focused as far as w- what you would say is like they would be very focused into the visual effects portion of it. So when you look at this movie, um, a lot of the stuff that you see in this movie, you're looking at a director who's taking the seat from what he th- viewing everything from what he thinks would be the best visual effects perspective, okay? Which is kind of hard to believe, which we're going to get into when we discuss this whole movie because I think that it had promise and there was definitely ideas there to carry it. But as far as the visual effects go, there were portions where two guys as experienced as these two are with visual effects should have should have delved more into the lighting situation. Anyone mm. who talks about this movie, you'll always hear um, – this was darker than dark. Okay. It's it's bad. You can sit there with your contrast and lighting and everything on your TV and mess with it forever. It'll still be dark. Yes. It's pretty rough. And as you'll hear the term muddying up the special effects. Okay. Muddying things up is a, is a big no, no for visual effects. People, you don't want to make anything too dark or too brown and undefined to where it just kind of blends in together. Mm -hmm. So anyway, moving on. Cast of characters. Okay, we're dealing with a Predator or Xenomorph movie, alien movie. You're going to have a lot of characters. Now, one thing that this movie does is this movie falls right into that category just like uh, The Predator, the first movie we discussed. Lots of characters, lots of characters, not a whole lot of anything. I mean, where is the... Build. There's no character build. Yeah, a previous movie, Alien versus Predator, you had these integral characters that were important like Lex, Sebastian... You know, Wayland. Now we're getting a movie where I, I could honestly tell you I gave zero fucks if anybody died. Okay, first character, Stephen Pascal played Dallas Howard. Okay, and for some reason or another, this guy was cast as the the primary protagonist. I don't know about any of you, but if you watch this movie, just tell me if you would, as a casting individual, pick this guy. Like, this is the guy. This is my hero right here. I'll tell you what, if I saw him in a lineup, I'd be like, if anything, this guy is cannon fodder for the first or second scene. Okay. Anyway, <laughs> this guy's dying. Like, exactly. 10 exactly. minutes in. I done. buy off that this guy is a released convict. Like he was some kind of, you know, criminal 
hard ass. And he's one of the other main characters' brothers, older brother. Dude is sharp, is softer than Charmin. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I, I pictured him like a Ken doll, dude. He's 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 out there. It's like, wow. You don't want to have a Ken is, off. It's our hero, ladies and gentlemen. Um. Anyway, like I said. He's not very interesting. Um, to me, he comes off as being very neutral about everything. Um, he only seems to care, like, to take care of his little brother kind of thing. That's it. Which makes him a very shallow character from the beginning. You're like, he's an ex-con. We never get into why he went to prison. We never get into, was he a criminal? That you know, Did he do anything really tough that we're supposed to go, wow, he's a badass? No. I mean, oh. this guy could have shoplifted at, like, you know, the candy world. Neiman Marcus. Yeah, he, he took one too many candy bars from the 7-Eleven. The I don't know, but he was not hardcore. <laughs> so we move on to uh, Rico or Rico Aylesworth. Rico as Kelly O'Brien. Okay, she's actually a more interesting protagonist in this, but you don't get a whole lot of her. She's a re- soldier returning home um, from some sort of deployment or, you know, period of time she's been gone from her family. Um, she seems like a more interesting character. Um, <laughs> yeah, exactly. I agree. Um, but yeah, she's more interesting character. Is in a, you feel like that, that a strange thing, and you're like, wow, this could be a story. She's coming home. You could tell anyone who has any kind of experience with military families or being in the military yourself, you know, that transition period of coming home can be strange, can be good, can be bad. It's got a, a little bit of everything. I still haven't but, figured um, that shit out. There you go. But I feel like she could have. It could have went that way, and she was interesting enough to where she played the character believably. You're like, hey, she's kind of cool. So um, interesting protagonist. We never get to know her. That's about it. She throws out some good knowledge. She gives some good opinions. That's about it. John Ortiz, played by Eddie Morales, is a sheriff of Gunnis. Uh, he's an idiot. He plays the role <laughs> of the most important idiot yes. in this movie. Aww. And, I mean, it's 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 terrible. It's one of those where he doesn't make any good decisions during the entire movie. So you don't even like. You're like, I don't even expect Eddie. What's I say about the town of Gunnison? They yeah, voted they elected for this, this guy. Okay, so their their pool must have been pretty short. We can elect Eddie or Jeff the dog, you know, or something like that. It's like what? Those are our only two choices. We got you know Eddie and a dog raised by Eddie. <laughs> you know, it's like. I mean, (laughs) if there's a bad decision to be made, Sheriff Eddie is going to make, or Sheriff Ortiz is going to make it. He's just, it's just terrible. Um, Johnny Lewis plays Ricky Howard, basically the younger brother of um, Dallas Howard, the main character. He's a pizza delivery guy who likes a girl and nobody cares. (laughs) It's like... Whoever wrote this kind of started off like it's like, can we make this like an MTV teen drama? Oh, wait, no, no, wait, this is a sci fi horror movie. Pimp my oh, alien. <laughs> we're going to just put him in there with some teen drama going on anyway. Yeah, he looks 28, but no, he's in high school. He delivers pizza. He tr- he's got a motherfucking receded hairline. <laughs> yeah, he's got a receding hairline, and he likes this girl that probably would be statutory rape anywhere else in the country. Anyway. We go on. He's not very important. Um, all he does is whine a lot in a movie and chase after this girl to a point where you're just like, bruh, I feel bad. I'm embarrassed for you. Okay. <laughs> then you got Robert Joy, who has about one minute on screen. Um, he plays Colonel Stevens, who offers some of the, the worst like 
oh yeah, we're here for you stuff to the sheriff, and the sheriff just eats it up. Yeah, because Sheriff Ortiz is an idiot. So basically, the colonel didn't have a hard job. He's like, I got to fool these people. We're going to blow this place up. I'm just going to tell the sheriff to get everybody in one spot. Let's see if he does it. I mean, it's a shot in the dark. And of course, the sheriff's like, we'll be right on that, Colonel, because I'm an idiot. So then we go on. Kristen Hager, she plays Jesse Salinger, the love interest of uh, Ricky. Um, she's absolutely uninteresting. Um, apparently, she likes kind of the jockey douchebag guy who's her boyfriend at first. Of but course. then suddenly she falls for the pizza delivery guy, the receding hairline. And then she wants Naturally. to go skinny dipping. And the only cool thing to say about her is that she dies cool. Okay. So during the whole thing, if you're watching the movie, just watch for the part where Jesse dies. Okay. And that's the only cool thing she contributes to the entire movie. Um, David Heku as Dale Collins. Jesse's a douchebaggy jock boyfriend who kind of treats Rick bad. And you're like, who's Ricky? It's, that's what I mean. Nobody cares. Okay. So anyway, that's his whole role in the movie. He dies kind of cool too. If you want to see another good death scene, there's a good death scene with him. So you're like, but you're kind of like, you, you don't care. I'm like, oh no, he died. Oh God. At least Damn. it looks cool. <laughs> then we move on. Tom Woodward Jr. He plays one of the aliens and the pred alien, basically doing a lot of the physical <laughs> aspect of the uh, practical um, so forth. And Ian White, if you don't remember, we mentioned him before uh, when we were talking about it. Ian White got to play the pred alien, uh, Predators before. He plays one of the best Predators ever in the franchise, as far as I'm concerned, the Wolf Predator. It's what they ended up calling him. Um, a lot of people speculate, why do they call him a Wolf Predator? But fun fact there, it goes back to um, Quentin Tarantino naming his one of the characters like the Wolf that's a cleaner in his movie. So in this movie, this predator kind of plays the same role. He comes after the initial problem, and he kind of he's like cleaning everything up. He's cleaning house, and I mean this motherfucker's bad. All right, he kicks everyone's ass. And there's a part where he punches from the sewer out out into the street above. I'm like, damn. So it kind of lets you know he's he's he doesn't even bring anyone else with him. He's like, oh, there's a problem with yeah, the they, aliens. They, they show up by themselves, and I'll take care of it. And that motherfucker gets on a spaceship. And goes by himself. Doesn't bring, you know, he's like, I got this. I'm like, damn. Do you, so, do you remember my that, beer. that scene <laughs> when he just like intercepts the signal? He's like, all right, I got this. Yeah. Doesn't let anybody know. Doesn't tell anybody. Nothing. He gets, he's he gets just like, his I got this. And he's like, I'm rolling. I'm, I'm on my way. Like, Don't worry about it. Just that, that scene where, where he's going through the sewer. Yeah. And just like, launching the like the different um yeah well, what would you call those it's like a almost Nets. like a laser trap like, yeah it's yeah. like a, a like a laser net like on the walls needless to say the walking. xenomorphs had no chance bro they no. were just like no they they're but. just they're like appetizers for him he's like all right now i'm hunting down the pred alien you guys are just in my way not a single one but, of them even gets close to hurting no but mm. did i want to I'm sorry if somebody talks about this later, but that scene where he sees the Predalian, he's like, oh, shit. Yeah, he's like, y'all fucked <laughs> up. <laughs> I mean, if they had a little readout on there with, like, subtitles, it'd probably say, like, oh, shit, they fucked up. Oh, shit. But There's I mean, a he, here. he goes after him, and, I mean, 
he's no joke. I mean, he's got the pred alien running. I mean, this is a creature that is a hybrid of the two. Yeah. And it still don't want to fuck with him. No. Damn. He's like, he's like missing the half of his little like, thing yeah. there. It's like gone. It's like, you know, he's been in a lot of fights, man. Someone ripped that thing off. No. Either that or he broke it in like a beer can or something, you know, being cool, like popping, popping it. Oh, shit. But anyway, he's cool and he just runs in there and fucks them all up. The only thing that messes things up, once again, I have to go with what Jen mentioned before the humans fucking. Thank you. Ricky Thank and you. the unimportant crew. Or fucking Dallas and his, and his buddy. Stay out of the way. So you got no, Dallas, place. the soft ex con. No, Ricky, his receding hairline, little brother who's a simp for you, whatever her name was. But anyway, they fuck it up. with receding hairlines. I he just does. Well, well, it just, it's, I'm re- supposed to believe this guy's in high school. <laughs> he talks about- He's a high schooler. It's got like. Have you not seen high schoolers with receding? I have. Yeah, I have, I have yeah. seen them. Yeah. I guess I'm it's just not, old, and I think of high schoolers like you know, like a 15, 16 year old kid. I don't think of them looking yeah. like you know he's in his time to rehab for meth. I don't think of kids, high school kids, mm-hmm. looking. Dude, like you live in the south, right? And you you, were, you grew up in Florida. You're just know. living in Florida. That's like the norm. Meth center. Oh, you got out. Of, you meth went to rehab over the summer. Maybe that's, that's why he was old. You know. Maybe the meth, but he's driving to deliver pizzas. He needs the energy to keep him going all night. <laughs> There's better options out there than meth. Yeah, I don't know. But anyway. Tons of better reviews. options. As far as it goes, Rotten Red Tomatoes you wings. is probably a better way to go. Because like I said, IMDb is always like the four mm-hmm. to six range. Okay, but as for reviews, Rotten Tomatoes gave it a 12. Okay, that's the critics. The fans gave it a 30%, but that was over time after it had time for people to go, okay, I like it enough because it's related to Alien versus Predator. But other than that, that's about all people say is like, I like it because it was related to Alien versus Predator mm-hmm. and the fact that Jesse gets killed pretty cool. But uh, IMDb gave it a 4.6. Uh, like I said, IMDb is kind of, eh. The fans gave it roughly a six, which I was surprised. I was like, did you guys watch this movie? But they gave it a six, okay? And I think they gave it a six because of the fact that it kind of builds on the mythos of the Predator, okay? You kind of get to see part of their home world just for a brief moment when, like Jen was yep. mentioning, when the wolf Predator gets the message that they that fucked up. That was awesome. You kind of see this world of theirs and, and for a second, and he just jumps in his little spaceship and he's on his is, way. But I mean, for a second, world? you're just like, damn. But you also get introduced to some new technologies with this one. Some of the Predator's uh, newer stuff. The wolf predator has two plasma casters on, which you're like, whoa, this bitch got two. But you get to see other cool stuff, and I think that's where the fans kind of gave it a six. And it could be when we get to Jeff, he might be able to tell us that there's more links to other, you know, source material <laughs> that gave people there. But overall, the muddy look, the dark, the dark scenes, the poor lighting, and some of the weaker parts aspects of the CGI. Like there's a scene with the National Guard, which is kind of like a reflective scene of uh you go back to aliens and the, the colonial marines first run in with the alien down in the um reactor the lower depths of the reactor it gives you that kind of feel but the the poor cgi and the play through it just didn't live up to that nostalgia mm. it really failed so mm. i think the wolf predator saves a lot of this people are like man he's just a badass predator mm-hmm. you know and the fact that the pred alien, pred alien is a great idea, like Jeff mentioned from AVP. I mean, you're adding the two together, a hybrid that's, I mean, 
It's as strong. It's coming from a creature as strong as the predator. Like I said, the wolf predator punches his way out from the sewer into the surface streets. Yeah, he has a device to help him, but still, I don't know. You put that device on me, I don't know if I could punch through to the street. I don't think I tried. I don't even know how to use that. I know, <laughs> but I mean, this is a totally different predator. Like, hmm. I don't think I'm, I, and I'm not diminishing anybody's intellect but every time you see a predator on screen it's a different facet of their you know community basically yep. like different you know, tribes when, when, different types yeah, of yeah like when you see this predator he is not some youngling that's trying to go through like a mm -hmm. rite of passage or you know one that's just hunting and like the first predator or the second predator this yeah. is a Full-fledged. So this is he's like the next step up hunter. below um, the the elder. elder. Yeah. yeah. These yeah. are the guys that this, they're this the is, next elders in the tribes. Yes. The, like this is the epitome of a badass predator yeah. that is going after, you know, a problem on Earth. Basically that they kind of created. I mean – he, he is a, an ultimate badass. He doesn't need anybody else. He has all the things that he needs in all his facilities. I mean, it's just, to me, to me th that alone just, like, amazes me. Like, I love it. Just seeing everything. Like, he doesn't need anybody else to know. He's like, hey, I'll be right back. Got a problem yeah. on Earth. He's just like, let me go take care of this shit. I mean, it, I don't know if it kind of, that like what Jen's saying, it, I don't know if that kind of insinuates that maybe the, scar predator with someone he knew or the son of someone he knew or maybe related to him because maybe. scar is the one that gave birth to you know the, the pred alien so it, it, there's a lot of stuff that i wish they would have delved in more because he is so interesting but um well, overall like i said fans of the franchise kind of gave it uh, a little bit of leeway for that but critics doused that this is rated the worst out of the whole franchise you know, which is kind of hard to believe after watching critics it, I'm sorry. Fuck those critics. I don't trust their asses for nothing. When they start talking about movies and everything, I don't even fucking pay attention to them anymore because usually I end up liking it. Yeah. Because they, they critique things. On, I'm, like, you know, I'm a fan of a series, even if I don't read comics or whatever. Like, I just like it. And they critique it on things. And I'm like, well, that doesn't fucking matter. I'm like, it's a good movie. They don't care. Yeah, like yeah. I think we even said it. Like automatically, they they score things that are sci-fi and horror like so much lower than yeah. really what they should. Yeah, they ask the they ask for strange things. You know, like you'll listen to the critics' reviews, and it'll be something like, "I didn't see the developing love story between Ricky and Jesse." And I'm nobody like, cares. nobody cares. Nobody cares. People didn't come here to see that. It wasn't called. Ricky and Jesse love each other. Plus, came predator. here to see the predator fuck some shit up. Yeah, I'm like, this is yeah. anyway. But those characters probably helped bring it down to a twelve because it was they were they're terrible. They're terrible characters. Okay. Hey. So uh, the location where this was filmed was in Vancouver, Canada. Uh, so it was the same location as the Predator. Uh, the budget for this film was forty million. The opening weekend, it only got ten million. Um, however, lot. grossing worldwide, it did get um, one hundred and thirty million overall. Yeah. yeah. So for the music, uh, the composer was uh, Brian Tyler. He scored Age of Ultron, Iron Man Three, and Law Abiding Citizen. 
Uh, fun facts about him because I thought like he was actually kind of really interesting. Um, he's actually the conductor for the Super Mario Bros. movie, which yeah. I actually just watched for the first time today. Um, <laughs> it is. <laughs> um, Tyler is also a Emmy awarded uh, or Emmy award nominee, um, platinum selling artist. Um, this man frequently conducts the London Philharmonic. Like that's holy big, shit, wow. that's that is shit. like that's big, that's big epic as fuck. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So I thought I thought that was pretty dope. Um, so this soundtrack is actually a lot similar to AVP soundtrack. It has the same feel, like with the woodwinds um, and viola and violin runs as well. Uh, the brass crescendo, uh, the brass uh, crescendos, um, and muting. Um, effect that they have on that and the drums rumbling with the the beat that makes like shit go sideways um but a couple of um this this catalog is also very large i only chose like two pieces to talk about um so the alien versus predator requiem or avpr um how i like to reference it uh, it's a beautiful piece it's just, like seriously super beautiful um it's super suspenseful and it leaves you just like wanting more uh which is exactly what you want out mm -hmm. of a piece that's like at the beginning of the movie you know to have your audiences continue watching and then um decimation proclamation um fucking woodwind runs uh beautiful they get me every time <laughs> Jeff, what you got for your synopsis? All right. So in this film, we get the wolf predator, as mentioned above. And we had the, uh, the pred alien. So synopsis. So following the events of Alien versus Predator, in case y'all haven't picked up on this yet, this takes place right after Alien versus Predator. And the maturation of the chest burster that erupted from the body of Scar... The Predator defeated the alien queen into an adult Pred alien. The Predator scout ship crashes in the woods of Gunnison County. A local, Buddy Benson, and his son Sam are hunting in the forest to witness the crash. But they are chased <laughs> and are implanted with alien embryos by facehuggers, along with several homeless people living in the sewers. Meanwhile... Another predator lands, seeking out the alien and destroying evidence of their presence on Earth. The dwellers of this town find themselves in the middle of a battlefield between two deadly extraterrestrial creatures and a small group of survivors split between the leadership of Sheriff Eddie Morales and the bad boy Dallas Howard. Dallas Howard. Both have different opinions and the best means to escape from these aliens. And source material... Not a goddamn one. They didn't take nothing from the comic book. Nothing from the books. This is just out there on its own, doing its own thing, and it fucking shows. Who's the writer, Jeff? Did they put that on there? Uh, but I thought you mentioned it. No. I want to hide their identity. I think his identity is protected for his own His own safety, yeah. He might be in Wit, Wit Pro, to be honest with you. Yeah. Because this movie was complete trash. It was. <laughs> Good God. There's Jeff's opinion early. So, special effects. All right. Again, again, my Algamated Dynamics ADI came back. They returned. So, um, hydraulics. 
company directors, Greg and Colin Strauss, uh, their own visual effects company provide the digital counterparts for all of the alien creatures. So some things that they've worked on in the past to note is X-Files, The Day After Tomorrow, and Skyline. Oh, God. Do you guys remember Skyline? <laughs> no. I like that movie, but... Oh, yeah, God. I know the X-Files, though. That's like my favorite TV show. <laughs> yeah, you you watch Skyline, dude. It's got a second one. A second and third? I don't know. But I don't yeah. Out. yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. What? Skyline? I knew it had a second one. I didn't know it had a third one. Maybe it's just a second one, but they're good good watches. I recommend Skyline. Just saying. Sorry, my screen's so bright. So can, <laughs> can you see me? Okay. All right. So um, <clears throat> the alien hive that you see in this film is largely influenced by photographs of the sets that were built for aliens. Okay. And the hive was actually carved by styrofoam encoded in a lasmateric sealant. So if some of that looks familiar, that is why. Um, so face huggers. So they were built starting from the molds that were created for alien resurrection. Um, this paint scheme was a little different in this one. And I actually noticed it going back and watching the movie. This paint scheme was changed to a brown and red hue. And then the series of models, they were like hand puppets. And also like little stump dummies that were maneuverable with wires. And then there was also an animatronic uh, face hugger that was able to run by itself with like kind of like a rhythmic type of motion with its limbs. Kind of like the stuff in nightmares, in my opinion. And then there was also another face hugger that was actually radio controlled and like fully articulated as well that they would use for those scenes. Um <clears throat> And then uh, there was the chest burster that came out in the beginning. Um, that was also recycled from the alien resurrection. Um, the first chest burster sequence that you see was done with like a rubber skin casting of the creature. And it was quickly inflated at like this high pressure um, bloodline that was also fired at the same time. And it, it was rupturing with like this tearaway shirt and it has like this bloody reveal at the end. And that was actually a quote from um, Gillis from ADI's, how he's kind of describing like the whole like sequence. And then there's also animatronic versions that were also used in combination with fake pregnant bellies and like the belly burster scenes. Well, those were kind of weird. Yeah, I'll get back to that. <laughs> um, so the Predalien on set actually had a Pet name, nickname, they called him Chet. <laughs> I know. Yes, from Weird Science, because they felt Chet. like he was kind of like a Chet. Yeah, that's exactly why they gave him that nickname was from Weird Science. Yeah. Um, so the the idea was to have like an 80-20 proportion. So 80% alien and 20% predator when they were working on this. Hmm. Um, so a single small scale sculpture was created with like five plus sculptors working on this project. And then if, once they agreed on like a, the look of it, there a full size sculpture was being created and just in order for like a molding base um, for the creature suit to be made. So 
all is fine. They're building this sculpture. And then there's this 14-year-old walked through the halls and said, oh, that's a really cool alien. And they were like, shit. <laughs> so they uh, they decided to uh, add some dreadlocks to kind of like increase that, that predator kind of um, feel to the uh, pretty alien. Um, and then, <clears throat> and then I think I kind of touched on it before, but um, Tom Woodruff, who is part owner of ADI or part creator of ADI, he wears the suit a lot. I know we kind of say, oh, Tom Woodruff, but I mean, he's part creator, like owner of this company, and he still puts on suits. So he wore a suit for every scene that um, featured one of the uh, the Predators. Like, I just, that, that just amazes me. Like, you're like one of the big honchos in charge, and you're like, man, I'll put it on. And there's actually like YouTube videos of him like putting shit on, and I'm like, dang, dude, that's awesome. But that goes back to show. <coughs> we would always say, like, hey, all good leaders are willing to get, get in there and get their hands and dirty. He does. And dude yeah. owns the company, he, he owns, owns it. it. Yeah, owns it, runs it. Like so gets down 50 and dirty. plus pounds of prosthetics and yeah. molded, it's, you know, fibers. Yeah. Yeah. Boss man, I'm telling you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I, that just, yeah, just amazes me. So there was a total of like six suits were made for the Predator. So there are four stunt suits and then two hero suits. No, <clears throat> the biggest difference between the suits is that there was a mechanized <clears throat> extensions with a lot of them. And then these suits could be self-contained and radio controlled and everything. And talking about the aliens. But then they could also be puppeteered by like three crew members. As that's well. pretty cool. Yeah. I'm telling you, man, these guys are like, that's why I love the when they do like practical effects and stuff, like I, I get, I'm like, oh, this is so neat. I love it, kitty. Um, and then one of the, uh, also one of the hero suits featured mechanisms that allowed the the mandibles to like extend, and like latch. Talking about the um, the Predalien. So this is when um, you kind of see where it Im impregnates one of the. Um, pregnant female humans where you can see like the mandibles kind of extend out and like the inner teeth come out and it like latches onto the face where they can't like really move. <clears throat> I know it's gross. Um, so this is where it's you nature. see like nature is beautiful. Predalien actually like negates the need for a face hugger. Like totally. Which I, I thought. And, and the writer, I don't know who he is, but pregnant. So it can impregnate or inject multiple embryos into like a single host. Yeah. Anyways. That made no Miss Taylor, your opinions, ma'am. I don't really have much to say about this movie that we haven't already said. <laughs> um, it was dark. It was it I've was seen dark. it. Uh, <laughs> I've seen it and um cannot like recall much about this movie uh just because i just didn't really care for it um so to go into my interesting fact uh of this movie um is that avpr was actually released in march of 2008 at best buy 
um, if you went to go pick up a unrated copy of this DVD, um, it would include a Alien vs. Predator um, Headspace comic that was by Dark Horse um, Comics, and this was an exclusive. Like, the only way for you to get this comic book was to get an unrated, um, like, uh, Blu-ray from your, like, nearest Best Buy until supplies last. So uh, I thought that was pretty cool. (laughs) I wonder if you got a hold of that, if it would make the story make a little more sense. I doubt it. I don't think so. <laughs> no, think I about think it. comic book is only going to give you 34 pages at the most of material. Yeah. yeah. But at least you could see it. So there's that. True. All right, EJ, what you got? Oh, if we're doing, since we're uh, giving a uh, smoke pit kind of ideas here, I'd, I'd give it one, one and a half puffs. Um, it, it's bad. It's bad all around. The writing's bad. The characters are bad. Um, there's, there's very few things that save this movie from being a total loss, and it's the wolf predator, uh, the pred alien itself. Um, some cool uh, death scenes that probably are a little different than your, you know, your other movies. I mean, uh, spoiler alert, but when uh, the jock guys the jock guy dies and it's totally his head totally melted by acid. It's, it's kind of cool. I took a lot of special effects to do and it's a uh, different, you know, we don't really see that in the other movies. So one plus, but, uh, overall it's a skippable movie as far as I'm concerned. Um, it adds nothing to the franchise. Um, the pregnancy thing was really, really bizarre. <laughs> And um, the muddiness and so forth. I mean, I I want to like the movie more because I like AVP so much. But there's just no fixing some of the, the parts that are hard or hard broken in that. Jen? <clears throat> so my opinion's probably going to be a lot different than you all's. I don't hate because it. Because of the special effects? <laughs> so, yeah, that's Partly because of special effects. I know that the movie was very Batman. dark. What? AD said darkness, no parents. Right. Batman. <laughs> so uh, I know the movie is very dark, and obviously that pregnancy thing was like fucking you know, awkward, bro. Like disturbing. Like I was just like, oh, oh. Kind of a, a gag, but I mean, I I just liked seeing the pretty man like on screen, just having like a, a a different idea up there besides just having another, just a continuation of like the Alien versus Predator franchise. Like they they kind of missed the mark a little bit, but I appreciate it for what it was and the uh, effort that was put into the effects. Um. I thought it was great. I mean, as far as the story, though, I mean, honestly, like, there's some stuff that's just absolutely fodder. Like, the whole love story was just fucking fodder and just, like, filler. Like, I thought it was hilarious when the girl died. Like, I just laughed my ass off. I was like, oh, ah, <laughs> she died. Anyway, moving on. Um, you know, I I was really rooting for the, uh, the GI that came back from war. I was really rooting for her and her daughter. So, yeah. You know, there are some things that, you know, made me happy about it. But, I mean, overall, like, 
don't know. If, I, I, I can't really give it a puffs on the uh, smoke pit scale, but I mean, for the most part, like I don't hate it. I watched it. Would I watch it again? Maybe sometime down the road. I watched it recently. Probably won't do it again for several years, but you know, I don't think it was a total loss. One decade later. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's probably how long it's been since I watched it, actually. I mean, it's, can't, no, that's probably, yeah, about a decade. Yeah, that's about right. All right. So I'm going to slap some more trivia down on the table, and then I got a question. But before I do that, I'm going to tell you what I think. There is potential here that was squandered. I'll leave it at that. But for the trivia. So more so than any other alien or alien versus predator film, Requiem is replete with deliberate homages to the other movies in the franchise. Meaning there are none. Mm -hmm. I'm skipping that one. Skipping that one. Ah. As I mentioned earlier, this is the first and only film in the Alien franchise not to have a novelization and or comic book adaptation. Although the novelizations of Prometheus was only released in Japan, but the author did, they were, did reach out to him and he was just like, nah, I got other <laughs> shit going on. I don't want to be any part of that. <clears throat> and also, I want to note that this film is the only one to not have a notable motion picture effects a mention in the notable motion pictures effects journal Cinefops or Cinefets. Mm. Which kind of sucks because this is ADI we're talking about. One of the yeah. best visual special effects companies. Absolutely. And after I mean when Jen was talking about it, it really is. I mean, the Pred Alien was impressive. The work that they Dude. did to kind of mold it to is Absolutely. very impressive. Amazing. I mean, him and the wolf kind of just carried this whole movie. They did. You know, and, and bad lighting and a shit script ruined it. Yeah. So, for your trivia, AVPR, as Tay likes to call it, is the shortest film in the franchise. Thank God. What <laughs> is its runtime? It was mentioned earlier in the film in, by EJ. Well, what is the runtime on this film? That is your trivia for AVPR. Do you want an hour minutes or just minutes? Does it matter? I don't really give a shit. Just give okay. it to me. All right. Sweet. <laughs> I'm about done with this movie. Too long. Right. An hour and 37 minutes. I actually think that's pretty damn close. Um... Actually, no, you're being kind of generous there at an hour and 37 minutes. Close. Yeah. That was close. But you're close. Yeah. Actually, no, you're, you're, you're pretty freaking close, actually. Yeah. Super, so super it, was, it was 94 minutes. So you were actually pretty darn close there, AD. So, so yeah. an hour and 34 minutes and normal yeah. people. But nobody watched that long, so it doesn't matter. Yeah, that's a struggle bus all by itself. <laughs> All right, That's so going into our final shots and thoughts. Bam, 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 bam. Welcome to the end of the show, everybody. So thank, thank you, you for out. everybody for tuning in for our second episode. Go ahead and continue watching the USDN Facebook page. Um, 
for episode three, uh, which we'll be dropping, that will be covering um, Predators, Prometheus, and Alien Covenant. Is this the last of this in the franchises? We got no. Predators. No, we have. Wait, no, because we get we still have Aliens. Yeah, we have we have that's Alien, right. yeah, Alien, right. Alien Three. Right. Yeah, so there's that's there's right. definitely this is a four parter. Yeah, so this will be on yeah. the third of four, th- third of three of four. That's for right. this franchise. Yeah, I'll definitely uh, go look back at my notes and let you know uh, for sure how many we have because I think we yeah. also I talked about Alien Remnant and mm-hmm. yeah, so Romulus. Romulus. New yeah, yeah, I think we included that one in the last show because there's no details. It's, it's right. being very yeah, tight. Very uh, hush yeah. hush right now. Yep. Anyway, um, continue watching the USDN page for upcoming interviews. Uh, our very own Jeffy Jeff over here is working on some behind the scenes uh, to bring us some USDN collaborations. Let us know who you want us to collab with. Like we're hey. always open up to to ideas. What's up? Just like head and shoulders. I'm never not working. <laughs> um, and then also in two weeks, uh, as you if you've been watching the page, we do have uh, Queens of Nerdum is coming out with their fifth episode. Um, we're doing a Harry Potter heroes or as I say, Hogwarts heroes for that HH. Um, we do have a poll up, so go ahead and, uh, vote. (laughs) Um, I think it's only up for two days, maybe three. Okay. I think it's the standard on there. So you can see your character. You have very small window to get your votes in. Once it's closed, it is closed closed. unless we have Um, a runoff. And uh, we are only choosing two from that. Uh, Jen and I have chosen our own two, which we will disclose at a later time. Tune in to find out. Tune in. Continue to check in. Watch. Uh, So for our DFPN Patreon subscribers, uh, you can be a a supporter for as little as $3 a month. We will be doing an episode-by-episode breakdown of Ahsoka. Um, and that will be starting on really? the 28th of August. 28th of August now, yep. Yeah, I changed it. I updated it. I got you. Um, okay. Because it has been pushed up. So uh, it is now the 28th of August that we will be starting that um, episode by episode breakdown. And then also watch the USCM page for the final rap party that will be on all of the normal Twitch, YouTube, uh, Facebook, uh, StreamYard stuff. Uh, that is we want correct, to keep- Kelvin. We will be going yes. episode Every by episode, episode. But we'll also so, have a finale. Yes. Correct. So yeah. what will happen is we will have the first one will drop. And then August, no, the following week before the new episode drops. So that Monday, tune in to Patreon and we'll have a breakdown of episodes one and two. Then the next week will be episode three, so forth and so on. Until we get to our big route party, which will be October 11th. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, so we'll be dropping that. But again, the episode by episode is only the Patreon subscribers. Um, so if you want to tune in for those. Uh, $3 parties, a month. $3 a month. Um, we want your feedback on this episode. So please tell us in the comments what you liked and uh, what you didn't like even. Because constructive criticism is always welcome. Um and what we can so we can help bring the best podcast to you and as always thank you to the dfpn podcast group uh for all of the love and support that you guys have been giving us um 
hit that like, subscribe, share button. Yes. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> um, yeah, the, the two of you are uh, a godsend. Um, we cannot appreciate you uh, enough. Well, I hope you like her face. AD, a mirror eater. Uh, <laughs> and uh, stay tuned for more. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is USDN approved. And here's our outro. Bye.